Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonus, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, just visit Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. It's Marlene with Stories of the Supernatural. How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. I'm doing well. Everything is well here on the farm. Um, I'm hoping, I, I know I've promised this before, I'm hoping that I will get a video or at least pictures of my new chicks uh the the ones that were hatching the the blue andalusians that i bought and even though even though i bought a straight run and i'm seeing some that look like roosters so let's see what happens um and and i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do some investment advice kind of i couldn't believe it the other day i was at uh at a grocery store, which shall remain unnamed, but is widely visited by people all over the place. And a 60 egg box, okay, which I must have bought one time when my chickens during the winter that the laying went slow. Uh, I bought one of those boxes, I kid you not, for $4. They're now running for $15. <laughs> so. Oh, like I said in my last episode where I had gone to that feed supply store and all the chicks were almost sold out, which is why I ended up with a straight run of Blue Andalusians, which is like the roll of the dice to see if I would get roosters. I understand why, because I think a lot of people, you know, I know that there were some people that had always been buying, you know, chickens just for the, how can I tell you, for the novelty of it, believe me, I've picked up a lot of people that bought the chickens and then they don't want the chickens. I've rescued some chickens along the way, but I think a lot of people, it's not that anymore. I think a lot of people are, forget the novelty part. They, um, they're buying chickens, especially at these, um, at these tractor supply, not tractor supplies, uh, a feed supply places because over there they can guarantee the sex. In other words, where they're at, they can't have roosters, but they're willing to pick up a couple of little chicks that they know are going to be hens because not because of the cost of eggs obviously but i'm saying that's a sign of the times where people that normally would not have a chicken are saying i need a couple of chickens to lay eggs for me so i'm hoping at the very least the point of that conversation is that i'm hoping that even if i end up with too many of these roosters once they're young i'm going to be able to maybe uh sell them um because i imagine there's going to be people down the road that that uh that wanna want their hens to procreate. In other words, if you don't have a rooster to fertilize that egg, yeah, you'll have eggs, but you're never gonna get any chicks out of them. So yeah, that's what's happening in the chicken world. Okay, otherwise all my all my other ones are okay. Um, and yeah, and last week I lost one of my. Uh, everybody knows that back in November I lost one of my old my little old 
Chihuahua, my little Chihuahua dog that I had for 15 or 16 years. And last week, I lost a white poodle, which I had rescued. She was not that old. And as a matter of fact, and people have heard me tell the story that when she was lost, I contacted the people who rescued her. I said, if you can't find her, find the owners or you can't keep her, let me know. And they did contact me. What I didn't know at the time was she was pregnant. And she had a puppy. And I kept a puppy. And that puppy, before I was able to neuter him, got my other dog pregnant. So I had five puppies. And then, anyway, the grandmother of all of them, she, there was something going on with her. Um, she had always been really skinny, even though she ate. And then little by little, she just, I don't think she was that old. And one last week, uh, one time I put her on the porch with the other dogs. And when I came, she was passed away. One of those strange things, she wasn't in pain, though. But yep so down my pack is down to eight and I hope to keep it that way I can't you know I'm a real sucker for that but anyway let's get on to the oh before I forget do not forget to sign up for my newsletter okay go you go to miamigoschronicles.com or marlenepardo.com you're going to find links to that or you can also uh, visit me at eerie.news not eerienews.com eerie.news and on there I've got articles and almost daily um releases a podcast and video of just weird and unusual things that happen every day. God knows. There's a lot of that. Anyway, let's get on to the good part. And this is about the guest. The guest, this is a gentleman who, this is his first time here on Stories of the Supernatural. His name is Stefan H. Verstappen. He was born in 1957 in Toronto, Canada. He's a writer, a world traveler, an artist, and he's a martial arts expert. He has lived and traveled throughout China and East Asia. While in Asia, he studied Oriental art, culture, and Kung Fu. Verstappen is a master of the Lohan School of Martial Arts mm-hmm. and one of the few Westerners to have lived and studied Kung Fu in China. He continues to write, teach, and create public art installations. Help me welcome him today. How are you doing, Stefan? Oops, uh, I was hey muted. There. I'm How fine. How are you doing? I'm okay. How are you doing? I knew. I, I imagined as much. Good, good, good. Um, you, uh, your bio is so short, but so interesting. And I'm going to ask, how did you end up exploring the world? Were you always that way or did, what, what happened that put you on the path of traveling the world? Um, well, no, I was always that way. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I tried to explain to people because you know i i refer to myself now after all these years because mm-hmm. you know the question i hated when i was growing up is what do you want to be when you grow up do you, <laughs> yeah. be a fire- do you want to be a fireman an astronaut a, a scientist and i said yeah all those <laughs> and this uh, is great yeah I, yeah i want to be everything I want to experience the whole thing. The thing was, I had what you would call an enlightenment experience. And this is very common for people like me. At an early age, you just have some kind of a, like a realization. And it, it kind of, it affects your life. Or it changes the course of your life, basically. And um, when you talk to people that kind of do the stuff that I do, and, and you ask them what, what, you know, got them on that track, on that path, and they all will tell you the same thing, that, it, that something happened, you know. A good friend of mine, I don't know if you know him, Max Egan, um, he says that uh, 
that when he was like five years old, uh, his parents took him out on vacation and uh, out into the countryside. And he says, can, can we live here? Can we live here? And they said, no. And he said, why not? He says, because we don't own this. And he says, what do you mean, own it? Who owns the world? He couldn't, couldn't process that. And uh, I had a similar experience. I was 12 years old. I was in Eindhoven in Holland. And uh, I was staying with my uncle. And uh, I woke up in, you know, like midnight, one o'clock. And I snuck out, out the house. I just, for some reason, I had to go outside and explore. And it was snowing because this was close to Christmas time. And, but it was a big, fluffy, flaky you know, where it's so beautiful, just floating down, big fluffy snowflakes. And I just wandered throughout the city late at night. It was like abandoned, you know, Holland in those days. Everybody went to bed at 9 o'clock. So I'm all, my, all by myself, and I had this whole city to myself. And <clears throat> the overwhelming feeling that came through was, I'm alive. This is it. I have a whole life ahead of me. I was only 12. You have a life ahead of you, and you need to live it. And that was it. So from that point on, I've tried to uh, live that's my a, life. Let me tell you something. That's an incredible realization for a 12-year-old. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, Most 12-year-olds are not thinking about that. They're yeah, thinking about, was, I'm going to uh, go play with my friend or something. That's incredible. You know, it's it's like Gurdjieff, I would say. It's self-remembering. And, um, and well, a lot of mystic teachers would describe a similar experience where you act, absolutely realize that you are a living, breathing entity on this planet. Mm -hmm. Now, what are you going to do with it, you know? Right. And uh, for me, it was I want to see everything. I want to go everywhere. I want to do everything. I want to experience everything to the max. And so um, I've also been blessed with a... a in, insane curiosity so i do like to learn i enjoy learning and i'm curious about everything except accounting and politics <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you something <laughs> that would have been a bad yeah. mix <laughs> i'm an accountant that wants to rove the world <laughs> never been interested in those subjects but just about everything else science art philosophy the occult um music astronomy you name it i've always been very interested in it. And, and so i kind of lived my life that how way. long did it take you to 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 leave home um well i first ran away from home when i was six um my mother's a psychopath or was a psychopath thank goodness she's dead now and um hopefully in a nice warm place <laughs> um so, in other words, and this is what, you know, what's incredible is that 12-year-old revelation about yourself and about what you wanted persisted. It stayed with you. Yeah, absolutely. I never forgot it. I'm always trying to recreate the experience. And um, that's why I spend a lot of time okay. walking alone, usually through the forest or along the lake. But I also like to explore cities, too. I, I And cities, I prefer a bicycle, but... Um, and late at night, you know, I'll haunt the city at, you know, two o'clock in the morning, my bicycle downtown and where, where everybody's gone and the buildings are closed. But, uh, 
you know, I can really explore. Isn't that, aren't you, I'm not, I'm not going to say, but you know that that's a good way of getting in trouble too, because that's when all the weirdos, okay, oh, yeah. not everybody, that, sure, this is sure. sometimes when they come out. Yeah, but. Didn't you, you know, find yourself in predicaments? Never, never, because uh, first of all, I'm a martial arts expert. I've, I've been doing it now, teaching now for 45 years. 45 years? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm not afraid. There's there's no people that scare me. And um, But also I'm very, I'm cunning. And I can adapt to every situation. So if there's, if I run into a, a motorcycle gang, I know how to fit right in with them. If I run into a street gang, I can fit right in. If I'm, you know, with homeless people, I just can fit right in. If I need to go to the, <clears throat> the bankers society or the bankers club, I can fit right in because I'm very adaptable like that, which is a quality of psychopaths, but it's something I learned to do. Uh, back Backpedal a little bit to the point that I asked you, didn't that get you into predicaments because of that you decided that you would wander around town after hours? Um, yeah, but and what happened? Did you I'm, did or were you just one of these people that was? Because it sounds like you were very also very. Um, how can I say? Observe. You observed also what was going on around you. It seems that way. Oh, absolutely! Heightened awareness is key to it. You know, <clears throat> but what I was saying, I, I'm very flexible. I know how to read people, and I know how to okay. adapt to every situation. For example. If I'm going to bicycle downtown, I also use disguises. So if I'm going to bicycle downtown, I will dress like a homeless person because that way nobody bothers you. It's a great disguise. I'll give you an example. I was going to go down. Are, are you in Canada? No, no. You're in Miami, right? No, well, no, I'm not, I moved to North Florida about a year ago. So, yes, but I'm in Florida. Okay. Well, I, w I want to go see the, the fireworks at the uh, Canadian National Exhibition. It was like a 30-minute bicycle ride. and But because I'm going downtown and I'm going to be there late at night, I dressed in my what I call my homeless outfit, which is just, you know, raggedy old jacket, raggedy old pants, you know. So I get down there, and I and uh, usually I bring a couple of beers with me, packed and I, so I, and I'm laying on the grass, waiting for the fireworks display to start. And uh, there was another homeless guy there. And uh, he goes, hey, buddy, how you doing? I went, yeah, fine, you know. He says, you want a beer? <laughs> 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 I had just come back from California at that time. And, okay. you know, Marlene, I got to be honest with you, of all my friends and family and the people that I knew here in Toronto, this was the only guy that offered to buy me a beer. He had him with him. Really? So, yeah, you know, like I get along with homeless people. I've always tried to help homeless people. I, I've hired them to help me when I'm doing my art installations. And, I've, you know, in, in, when I lived in California, I would have them over. You know, there's a few homeless people I you get to know because they're always on the same spot on, on Main Street there. And uh, I'd invite them over for Thanksgiving dinner. And, uh, you know, that's just the kind of person I am because... You know, a lot of times it's not their fault. A lot of them, yes, are crazy. A lot of them are drug addicts. But a lot of them are just people that have 
you know, falling on hard times. And for the listeners out there, yep. you go a month without an income and you see how fast Ooh, you yeah. your ass ends up on the street. And it's not your fault. Yep. And uh, and then, yeah, go and ask your family to help you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. And so. Yes. So I thanked him. I said, no, I brought my own beer. And he came over and sat down and we watched the fireworks. And he told me all about the best dumpsters to dive and uh, what are the warmest places over the subway grate to sleep at night where you get the hot air coming up, you know. So, but I can do that with with everybody. I remember I I walked into a bar one time. Stupid me. I usually have a rule about know your terrain, right? Know where you're Mm -hmm. going. Know what the area is. You know, I'm, I'm very tactical that way. I walked into this bar. To my horror, it turned out to be a biker strip joint. <laughs> and uh, just then, oh boy. <laughs> you know, and I'm coming home from work. And at that time, I was working as a publicist. So I'm in a suit and tie and all that. So I, I'm the the, oh, the guy in the suit You and fit tie. right in, huh? <laughs> yeah, and in the biker strip bar. So I, I look out the window because I always sit near the, near the door. Again, it's tactical. I always sit facing the door, right? Uh, I never had my back to the door and I see a stretch limo pull out. Sure enough, here comes the, um, the boss of the bikers, you know, he's wearing his colors. I, I think it was, a, I think they were hell's angels and, and three strippers with him. And, and he comes walking into the bar and son of a bitch, the guy sits down right next to me and I'm thinking, Oh my God. So <laughs> I turned to him and I said, how long have you been studying karate? And he said, what? I said, how long have you been studying karate? He said, how did you know I was studying karate? I said, I can tell by the way you walk. Blew the guy's mind. He just, what? The? And then, you know, I told him, you know, I'd spent years in China studying Kung Fu. I can tell. Well, my God, he became my best friend. All the drinks were on the house and, you know, arm around me and he's calling the other strippers over. This guy is a master. <laughs> he could tell just by the way I moved that I'm a, I had invitations to go into limo and snort some coke and go with the, <laughs> the strippers and all that. Yeah. So what I mean to say is I know how to, to fit in, right? But you and, know what? Lady Luck was on your side because thank God he was studying karate. Maybe. Yeah, but I could tell he was. Right, so, no, no, but I'm saying, if what yeah. if he hadn't? And here you well, would have been like... I would have figured something else out. I would have figured something else out. Because it's intuition that does it, right? Like I, sure. when I tell people about this, I, I said, you know, I can't think this out. But it's intuition. Like, you know, like the time when uh, I'm traveling through the jungles, right on the border between Thailand and Laos. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I had a lot of marijuana on me, which you think it's legal over there. Think again, you, you know, they catch you. It's 10 years in the Bangkok Hilton, right? Really? All, oh, yeah. You've seen all the movies. So, but we were way out in the jungle. I wasn't worried. We we're so far from any civilization. Then, son of a bitch, suddenly out of the jungle come eight guys in army drag carrying machine guns. Oh. And... Um, we were traveling in a tuk-tuk at the time, which is a Nissan 4x4, but the, the back seat is converted to 
you know, they put a couple of benches down. And so it was me, my buddy, and and uh, four Thai women that were coming back from groceries. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they come out and they start going through the baggage, our luggage, right? I have my marijuana in my bag. I only carried a, a, a carry-on bag. And for sure, they're going to find it. And we're, we're, me and my buddy, we're shitting ourselves. And you know how it's hot there in Thailand, the humidity and everything. We're sitting there in the back. When when the tuk-tuk was moving, it was nice and cool. And now it stopped mm-hmm. and the heat comes in. So we're sweating and we're worried. And now the guys, suddenly the soldiers started making a big fuss as they were going through my bag. They were There was a commotion, yelling going on. And they all backed away from my bag like there was something dangerous in it. And what they had found was my expandable baton, which I had bought in Hong Kong. This was this was like a steel baton. Okay. Press a button, it's spring loaded, and ka-chunk, it, 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 it expands into uh, an 18-inch steel weapon. Right? Okay. They thought it was a grenade. They hadn't seen anything like oh, it. Oh, my God. Well, because that's why they all backed away. They all made a big. Oh circle. yeah, for a minute that was like, wow, they're 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 really impressed by a baton. So they're thinking this is an explosive. Oh, yeah, like boy. a pipe bomb or a grenade. They've never seen anything like it. So they're all freaking out there. And again, this is all instinct. So I went into what we call playing the fool. It's a strategy. It's a very good strategy if you're in real danger. Um, it's called feign madness or playing the fool. And so I got out of the tuk-tuk, and we had hired a guide, Utai, to lead us into, because we were looking for a shaman, uh, one of the Karen shaman up in, uh, up in Laos. And we'd hired this guy to take us way up into these remote villages. And, and uh, Utai saying, don't get out of the car. Don't get out. Don't get out. Whatever you do, don't get out. No. I jumped out, put my hands up in the air, and suddenly, you know, eight machine guns raised up and point towards me, right? <laughs> I startled them, right? I said, "No, no, it's not a, it's not a bomb. Let me show you." And I went over, and I, and they passed it around. And suddenly, one of the guys in perfect English, okay, said to me, "Why do you have this?" And I said, "Well, we were warned that if we came up into this area, there were a lot of bandits, which is true. It's 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 uh-huh. the wild west up there, right?" And um, I brought it for for protection. He translated it to all the other soldiers. Well, they started laughing their asses off. Is there a thing that you're trying? Okay. Yeah. Well, later on, I found out once we got up into the mountains there, everybody had a machine gun. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I was going to say, he was like, yeah, good luck on on that. And let me ask you, were those soldiers, were they looking for drugs or were they just randomly stopping anybody? No, they were looking for drugs. They They were? Oh, yeah. Thai Border Patrol. No okay. insignia, so you couldn't tell who they were. I see. If, you, if you'd seen the last, not the last one, but the second last Rambo movie where he's in Burma, that's okay. basically where we were, you know. Okay. So for me to have a baton, it was really ridiculous and proved that I was not a drug dealer because no drug dealer would be that stupid. Right, like, yeah, okay. Right? So, it, oh, I'm telling you that. That's incredible. That's an incredible story. So they stopped looking. They stopped. They just turned to me and said, "Okay, put your stuff back in the bag. Go on your way." But they thought it was yeah. a big joke. But instinctively, I knew this was the opportunity to distract them away 
from continuing to search my bag. So that's what I mean. I would have thought of something, but I've always been that way, Marlene. I've got good instincts, okay? Right. So if something happens, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't tell you in advance. I couldn't even plan it out if you told me, well, if they pull you over, what do you think you would do? Well, I can't tell you what I would do. So you're really good at ad-libbing. You're like, here it is. Yeah, well, it go... takes over me. It takes over yeah. me. I, there's no thinking involved. You just yeah, you're uh, like uh, yeah. You just make what it is at that moment, and how can you anticipate the moment until it arrives? Yes, and this is how you fight, as well. This is the highest form of hand-to-hand -hand combat. I have a good friend. He's the uh, well, he's retired now, but he was the first team captain for Toronto's very first SWAT team, and so he trained at my club. And great guy, great guy. And then he went on to. Uh, to teach at the police academy, uh, close quarters combat, and uh, we, we were talking one time, and he says, "I'm going." He says, "You know what question I get all the time?" I said, "What?" He says, um, "What would you do if this and if a guy came at you with a knife like this?" And he said, "I'm going to ask you that question. What would you do?" And I said, "What would I do? I don't know. I'll know if it happens." No, because you have to react instinctively. Right. You know, you can't plan this out. In hand-to-hand in -hand combat, things go so fast. So you can't say to yourself, oh, well, if he attacks me with a knife, I will do a low cross lock, and then I'll do a wrist lock, and then I'll hit him in the head. If you think like that, you're dead. You have to react to the situation. And this is how I taught my students, and the best fighters are like that. And so I told him that, and I said, so what did you say? And he said, I said the same thing. I don't know what I'm going to do. It would have, he'd have to come at me, and then I will react. But I cannot tell you in advance what technique. I mean, we, we learn, all, okay, knife defense, defense against this, defense against that. Yeah, we, you learn that. You train in that. But in a real-life situation, you cannot think your way through it. You have to react. I'll give you one more example about instinct. Go ahead. Because people make the mistake in thinking that the words they hear in their head, that's them. It's not you. It's internal dialogue. Are you familiar? You're familiar with the concept, yes. right? Internal, yes, I am. Yeah. Your internal dialogue is not you. And we hear a lot of talk about, oh, being authentic and, and this and that. You cannot be authentic with internal dialogue. These, these are tape loops that you've picked up over your lifetime, TV, television, something you heard your parents or your teachers say. It's not you. If you want to be authentic, you have to react with the world through what I would call your being. Gertrude calls that as well, your being. Not your intellectual center, not your internal dialogue. You need to react through your being. And so here's another example of my instinct kicking in. It's New Year's Eve. I'm, we're going home in the streetcar. Me and my two buddies were at the back of the streetcar. We'd smoked a lot of pot. And in those days, I got a little bit paranoid from smoking too much pot. You know how it is. <clears throat> and this girl gets on the streetcar. She was obviously coming back from a party. She was nicely dressed. But she was kind of like covered with mud. So she had either fallen down, because this was wintertime, you know, in Toronto, it's snow, and 
and, and the gutters are full of mush and things like that. Or, you know, a car had splashed her or something like that. But she was, she was hammered. And she's walking down the streetcar towards the back. She started, came in into the front. And she would turn to the people she passed and she would say, what the heck are you looking at? You at you effing fag. What the heck are right. you looking at? And you, you son of a bitch. Mind your own effing business. What the heck are you looking at? And so every person that she passed, she would turn to them and, you know, swear and, and cuss them out and things like that. And, uh, you know, and in the background, you heard murmurs. Oh, F you, bitch. You know, this kind of stuff. And uh, now she's heading right towards me, straight towards me. Right. So I know she's going to come up to me and it's going to be the same thing. What the F are you looking at? Yeah, faggot, you know. And so uh -huh. I'm running through all my my replies mentally, right? The, the the internal dialogue. I can be witty when I want to be. So I'm running through all these replies, right? You know, yeah, YouTube, be and uh, you know, swear at her or get offended or something like that. But by the time she got to the front of me, I I couldn't decide on a single reply. I couldn't decide on it. And so now she's standing in front of me in a real cocky attitude. She's tilting her head. What are you looking at? Now, I acted purely out of instinct. And I wouldn't do that today because I would be arrested for assault, no doubt. But I'd noticed that she had mud on her cheek. So I okay. slowly reached up with my hand and with my thumb, I cleaned the mud off her cheek. And then I put my hand back down. Well, all the anger immediately left her. Really? You could see her shoulders sag, and she let out a big sigh, and she started to tear up, and then she turned around and walked away, never said anything to me. Now, in hindsight, now that I'm mature, because back then I was a young guy, you know, but in hindsight, I know she was suffering. The reason she was yelling at everybody was because she wanted, she wanted people to hate her. Right? Because she was punishing herself. You know, it's, it's psychology. So she was living off the animosity of people that she would inflict on purpose. Who knows what happened? Maybe her boyfriend dumped her or something like that. And, 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 you know, she got drunk. She fell in the mud. She's covered in mud. And so she hates herself. And she wants to, you know, draw that kind of hatred towards it. Now, looking back on it, that's what I would think. But I couldn't think that at the time. And I don't know what possessed me to do that. I just noticed she had mud on her face and I cleaned it up and immediately her her demeanor changed. You know, the, all the tension went out of her shoulders, right? The fighting stance. Defiance. The, the defiance, defiance. All of that left her instantly. So that's instinct. Yes. Now, when I did that, I was being authentic. I was acting from my being. It wasn't me going, oh, how can I take control of this situation? How can I manipulate this girl? I should show her kindness because then I'll diffuse it. <laughs> None of that stuff, right? So that's what I'm talking about by instinct. And I try to teach that to my students, especially for fighting. You need to be able to move instinctively. You know, uh, you, you know somebody throws a punch at you. You dodge it without even thinking about it. You know, I, I got to a point where 
I, I could just stand there. I wouldn't I wouldn't even put my hands up like in a fighting position like you see in the movies. I would just stand there, hands beside my, on my, you know, uh, uh, hanging down. And um, during the sparring matches, and I would say, okay, come on, attack. And all I had to do was like twist and turn and duck, and they couldn't hit me. I didn't have to block or counter strike. And it's what I called eventually my impenetrable defense. But to do that, you need to have awareness. You need to diffuse your focus. There's a way of focusing your eyes that will help the instinct. So you don't focus on details. Remember those printouts? This goes back maybe 20 years. They were like digital printouts. But if you look at them in a certain way, they become a 3D picture. Yes. Okay. That's how you have to look at life. It's what I call diffused focus. It's like a gestalt. You take in the whole picture. You don't focus on the details. You don't get lost in details. You, you see everything around you. And that seems to stop the internal dialogue. And then you can react instinctively. And when you react instinctively, you're reacting from your being. And now you're being authentic. I'm reacting from my heart. And from right, my you're not belly. overthinking it. You're not overthinking. Not it. overthinking it. And you know what? I imagine for your opponent, it kind of throws them off because they don't know what to expect from you either. Because if you're just standing there, <laughs> it's like, okay, what's he gonna do? <laughs> you know. So it's like that's a that's a real good head game there. <laughs> well, it works that way too. But but you're right. They they don't know what to make of me. They really right. don't. No, but listen, it, it's a cheap trick because I know. I know distance. If you're further than six feet away from me, you can't hit me. So even though a lot of times they'll throw a kick, I already know it's not going to reach me. You're six feet away. You don't have six-foot-long legs. You have four-foot-long legs. So kick all you want. Punch all you want. I'm just going to stand there. I don't have to block or do anything because I already know you're too far away to hit me. If they were to come in close enough to actually hit me, Okay, maybe then I'm going to start blocking. But up until that point, I don't have to do anything. But you have to have a good sense of spatial relationships, you know, mm-hmm. your, your, your 3D space around you. And uh, un- until they get into my what I call uh, critical range, uh, right. if, they're not, if they're not inside critical range, uh, <laughs> I've seen this many times. Sure. They'll right, and, and, and it's... Right, because you oh, also because you, you know, like you said, your understanding of how close does this person have to be to me to either reach me with their leg, or their yeah. foot, um, from where they're at. That's right. And so, most people don't 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 are not that quick on the draw for that. Well, it, you know, it comes from years and years of training and understanding sure. the distance. You know, you, you get to learn how to. I mean, it got it got to the point where where. Um, People would never come within critical range of me. Like I, I'm spooking them out, you know. And so sometimes I would do a really sneaky trick, like I would pretend I was distracted, you know. I would suddenly look down like my shoelace was untied, hoping that they would take advantage of that, right? Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, come on in for the kill. Come, come on in for the kill. I'm distracted knowing that I'm doing that uh-huh. on purpose, right? And again, it's a classic um, um, military strategy. It's called the strategy of open city gates. Okay. And um, 
it's in my book, The 36 Strategies, The Strategy of Open Gates, where you leave yourself seemingly, purposely vulnerable. And what it does is it spooks your opponent. They're going, how come they haven't closed the city gates? Don't they see there's an army arrayed in front of them? It must be a trap. <laughs> right, exactly. And I imagine, not that I'm a fighter because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not. A lot of warfare, whether it's one-on-one or other numbers, a lot of it has to be psychological. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Um, yeah, the greatest strategist is uh, Sun Tzu in his book, The Art of War. Mm-hmm. And he says, you have to defeat your enemy before you go into battle. Right. So a lot of that is you defeat them psychologically. That's the point, you know. And if you defeated them psychologically, you've already won. Now, let me ask you, what happens when you have an opponent? I imagine up to a certain point, it's when you know something about your opponent. When, what is it when you're facing an opponent that you have no knowledge about? Um, it, it, it's basically just reading their body language. Okay. Um, a lot because I had an open door policy when I when I taught and I taught for like forty years and and one of the few clubs that had this open door policy and that was any sorry that's me anybody that wants to come inspire me is welcome okay. I'll take you all on anybody so I would get people from taekwondo and karate and jujitsu and krav maga and mixed martial arts and you know I would I said come on let's go. So, uh, which was good because I had a chance to, uh, you know, defend against all these different styles. And uh, it's basically experience. You know, I've probably sparred 10,000 people in my life. But you do, you do that long enough and you get good at it. It's like anything. If you do anything 10,000 times, you know, there's an old saying in, in, in Chinese martial arts. Everything is uh, 10,000 hours away from perfection, you know. Let me ask what I'm going to ask you because uh, 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 for my for my listeners, which are not what happens, th- because like you said, this is a setting where you said you were you would welcome all comers, regardless, yeah. you know, whatever their their school of fighting was. But what about the person? What if you're on the street? In other words, in a situation where you're not anticipating that somebody might attack you for whatever the reason. OK. Yeah. I've How would you had... handle something like that? Well, again, I, I, you know, you're asking me that question, which the answer is I don't know until it happens. Yeah. Okay. I know. All right. Um, you know. What would you? Because you know, sometimes, um, you know, you 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 hear a lot about, um, you know, and exactly like you said, you know, people will sometimes think, well, if that happens, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pull out a gun, or I'm going to put out a taser, or I'm going to put out of this, right. or my pepper right. sprayer. You know, you do all these scenarios in your head. Okay. Yeah. Until, you know, or I'll pull out my phone and I'll shine the light in their eyes. <laughs> you know, something along those lines. Sure. Now, if you practice doing that a thousand uh-huh. times, then you'll be okay. But just thinking about doing that, it's not going to really help. You'd have to actually practice doing it. Well, okay. There you go. Okay. There's a couple of other strategies I use. Uh, and okay. again, it depends on the situation. Um, like I said, when I go downtown bicycling, and I, I've bicycled everywhere, you know, all the ghettos in, in the U.S. there, you know, Oakland and, and L.A., you know, I've been, you know, going through some bad neighborhoods there, but I play the gray man. 
Have you heard of that expression? Yes, I have. Okay, so I just fade into the background. Okay. I just fade. They don't even notice me. They don't know I'm there. Mm -hmm. So I call it my cloak of invisibility, you know? Yes. And, but there's other situations where I'll do the opposite. And are you familiar? I'm sure you're familiar with the term chi or chi. Yes. Right. So I can, and I know this sounds, you know, kind of artsy, well, new agey or whatever, Go or ahead. something you see from a, from a Kung Fu movie, but there's a way of expanding your chi. Okay. Okay. So now I project confidence and energy. All right. And you know what? People part like the like like uh, Moses and the and the Red Sea. They just they back up. So I can walk okay. down the street like a, a rummy neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, with a lot of crackheads and all that. And normally I would use the uh, you know the gray man tactic for that. Okay. But if they were looking to me towards like, well, even though this guy's probably nobody, maybe we should check him out. Right. Then I'll expand my chi. And right. they sense it on another level. It's 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 subconscious on their part, mm-hmm. but they sense that I am not to be fucked with. We will <laughs> let him pass. Yeah, it's just like, like keep on going. Pass. Yeah, right. So these are all different strategies. Sometimes it goes this way. Sometimes it goes that way. Uh, three. Three guys tried to intimidate me they were going to rob me okay so this was late at night at two o'clock in the morning i like to sit out by the lake and uh and have a beer and a joint and contemplate the moon and and mm-hmm. i go out there late at night because there's nobody around i you know i don't i don't want to be disturbed and son of a bitch three guys minorities come walking down the path and uh, they come up to me and they go yo mo Yo, MFR, yo, mofo, uh, you know, uh, give us a smoke. And I said, no. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to be friends, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not your friend. What? But you got a pack of cigarettes right there. Because I, I, had, I had my beer and a pack of cigarettes right on the, on the, on the, uh, the bench next to me. I said, yeah, those are mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna mess you up. We're gonna, we're gonna take that. We're gonna take your bike, and we're gonna take up. We're gonna take that. And I said, okay, come on. And I'm just sitting there. I didn't stand up and assume a karate pose. All right. <laughs> I'm just leaning back. My legs are crossed. I'm very relaxed. And I said, you want it? Come and take it. Come on. Come and take it. And there was three against one. They backed off, okay? Oh, I bet. They must have. Because, you know, because, again, I'm not. You you don't show them. You don't show them fear, right? Right. Because if if you show any kind of fear, and even assuming a karate pose, that would be like, oh, you're nervous. (laughs) Now you're going to go into your karate, you know. And But, you know, I knew I could take them anyways. I didn't have to stand up. I could take them just sitting down. There's techniques that you can use, you know, you kick out their knees, right? When they get close enough, there's nothing oh. they can do. They can't even that sounds hit very you. painful. 
Yeah, you can take out their knees before they get anywhere close to you. So uh, actually, I'm in a good position. It's one of the techniques I teach women in women's self-defense. If you want to fight a guy off, you drop to the ground, get on your butt, get on your use your hands to pivot around, and you keep your legs facing the attacker. There's no way he can run around behind you because you can pivot mm -hmm. faster than anybody can run around you. Okay. All right. So you keep those, you keep your legs towards them. And as soon as they get close, you kick out their knees. Now they can't kick you because you're on the ground. They can't punch you because you're out of reach. In order for them to be able to hit you in any way, you'll be able to take out their knees first. So wow. and that, 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 let me tell you something, an injury to the knee. Ooh. Oh yeah, that's yeah. That's all you need to do. You know, once once you, you know, dislocate a kneecap, they're not come going anywhere. Mm -mm. So I just laid there. But again, now the thing in my mind is, how am I going to dispose of their bodies? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> it's like okay. <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. I'm going to dump them in the lake, but I have to make it look like an accident. So. <laughs> Maybe I'll smash their heads in on the curb, and it'll look like they slipped and fell. Slipped, and, and all three <laughs> fell in at the same time. And all three fell in. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that but, they thought that you had a firearm, or what? No, I'm in Canada. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. All right. Okay, so they didn't have to worry about that. Okay. They didn't have to worry about that. Okay. But again, it's the attitude. It's the chi, right? Right. Because okay. Like I said, normally I would just fade in, but they were pissing me off. You're interfering with my meditation time. Right. I don't need you clowns running up down because, and of course, they're loud. You know, these guys are always loud. They're always yelling and screaming. And, you know, Sun Tzu says that too. Men that yell at night are afraid. That's why they yell. So if, if you're very quiet and you stick to the shadows, you spook people out, you know. Sure. Yeah. Tell me, tell me, tell me how angry you are and I'll tell you how scared you are. Yeah, exactly. that's really all it is. That's all it but is. But so, so they, they, so there was something about it. They were like, you know what? This is, this is, you got in their head. Oh yeah. So what you were talking about? So the psychology of it, right? So I'm doing the opposite of what mm -hmm. you know most people would expect to do, or they're searching for their pepper spray or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, but again, I'm trained, so you know I'm not really worried about them. You know, I, I know uh, how to fight against three people at the same time because we practice that. You know, I used to do that with my students. I'd say, okay, you three guys, go get that guy. And go, what? Three against one? I said, yeah, what do you think is going to happen on the street? It's going to be a fair fight. It's never a fair fight on the street. You better get used to having two or three guys coming at you. And the technique is to always move laterally. You know, you move in a circle because that way they always have to realign and so that they're coming at you one at a time. They can't flank you. Okay. They can't get around behind you. So as long as they're coming I'm, I'm, at you I'm, one at a time, you can take them down. I know I'm getting you. Uh, 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 uh. No, 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 no. This is so interesting. But I'm going to ask you yeah. a question again from a non-fighter. Is there any time that you would say you need to run? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, I've never experienced that time. But okay. I would say yes. Yeah. But again, and this is what I talk about with people and also in the, you know I, I i do a lot of work on on prepping and survivalism i i do consultations if people want to get ready and get uh -huh. prepped uh, i just had a consult a consultation this this afternoon with a man in amityville long island <laughs> you know a very nice gentleman yes. and, and um 
what I tell people, because people are worried about things are getting really bad now, okay? We're, we're, we're mm-hmm. looking at food shortages. We're looking at potential. Yes. World War III, for, for God's sake, you know. Let me tell you, I've, yeah, you know, I, I tell everybody, if somebody will tell me December of 2019, okay, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna say that dates stands out for me because my mom passed away in December 28th of 2019. She was 90 years old. It was very sad, but she was an, you know, it, it was not totally unexpected. But what I'm saying is that date, that, that month that stands out for me. Have to live through this. Right. That As a matter of fact, later through. on with, with what came afterwards, I was yeah. like, you know, sometimes the timing on these things are better that you don't realize at that moment. Yeah. Because I had her in a nursing home and everything. And I'm the only child and whatever. But what I'm saying is to me, that's, the, you know, how BC, you know, AD before Christ and whatever, AD Anon Domini. Well, that was yeah. my cutoff point. I said, if at that moment, somebody would have said what was going to come starting in the spring of 2020 yeah. and everything yeah, that came after that, I would have said, oh, you're crazy. No, yeah. that's not. Yeah. No, people do that. And saying it's okay. No. And wow. Yeah, I know. Look wow. at what happened in two years. Uh-huh. All our freedom. In two years. So anything happen. that you say, which would have sounded far-fetched back in December of 2019, unfortunately, now is very, very likely. Yeah. And it's unfortunate so, to think that. And so people are rushing now to buy food and, and mm-hmm. buy guns and uh, yeah. get ready and, and you know fortify their home. But what I tell people, in a survival situation, the key, the most important weapon you have is your mind, your instincts, your ability to react, to read a situation. And again, it's, the, it's being cunning. And if you are cunning, you can survive anything. You can survive these attacks. You can survive muggings. You can survive people wanting to fight you or people wanting to break into your house. It's difficult to teach cunning. You know, I, I, I did a lot of research when I wrote my first book, The 36 Strategy. I, I spent a lot of time researching, and this research will, will tie into what we're going to talk about later with psychopaths. Mm-hmm. Right. But I read military history, you know, all the wars, and the battles, and the lives of the mm-hmm. kings and emperors and shoguns. And, you know, and um, boy, these were ruthless people. Yes, they were. And, and, and the strategies were, were, yeah, they were cunning and ruthless. And then you start to get a feel for it. So you, you need to read a lot of history, a lot of examples. I also read, like, lots of books on, on con artists, how they perform their cons and tricks, you know, three-card Monty mm-hmm. and, the, and, you know, soap, you know, the dollar and the soap business and the phony co- uh, gold mine. I read all about Ponzi and... Uh, all these con artists, how they fooled people. So you get, you know, a sense of street smarts and you get a sense of how cunning people are. Then you need to match that level of cunning. At least you need to be able to recognize what you're dealing with. And so long as you're cunning enough and ruthless, and people always think I'm when I say ruthless, I, I mean like you got to be mean. No, you got to be ruthless in that. You know, somebody comes up to you on the street and says, hey, uh, you know, can you give me a light for my cigarette? Look, that's a setup for a mugging. Everybody knows that. 
right? But a lot of people, especially Canadians, oh, sure, uh, I think I got a match in my pocket. Hold on a second. No. Some stranger comes up to you on the street and asks for your light. You see, I don't have one. And then you step around them, right? And you step around them sideways because you want to be able to see who's behind you. Because nine times out of ten, there'll be somebody behind you. Do you think that, and I hate to say it, but do you think that a lot of modern, when I say modern living, I'm going to, let's go for the last 50, 60, 70 years, they've kind of dulled that instinct for self-preservation because basically that's really what it boils down to self-preservation for yourself for your family for your children for whatever in other words it's been dulled because they've put adjectives uh ugly ones like you're ruthless you're this you're that you know you're suspicious you're paranoid yeah when people would normally say uh you know you know why are you coming in so close to my body space like you said you know you're asking for a light um where people now, like you said, are like, want to be Mr. or Mrs. Friendly. Yeah, sure, here. Where once upon a time, maybe 100 years back or 80 years back, they would have been like, exact, at the moment, very wary. Or not let that individual get close them, to them. So yeah. it's almost again, like we've been defanged. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Marlene. Listen, uh, uh, Charlotte Izzardby... I'm sure you're familiar with her work, uh, The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America. I've heard of her. I am not familiar with her work per se. I have not. But anyway. Well, she made a very good case that the educational system has been purposely causing, purposely creating very stupid people. And this has been going on, like you said, 50 years? Yeah, 50 years at least. Mm -hmm. Also, the powers that rule this world, the evil, dark psychopaths that rule this world, they don't want people to be like me. They no. hate people like me, that you can, you're self-reliant, you can handle yourself, you don't get tricked, you're not fooled by propaganda or, yes. or con artist tricks, you can't be distracted, and you're willing to stand your ground against injustice. Oh, my God, I'm their yes. worst nightmare. And as a result of that, they have done everything in their power that's why we have, you know, this whole war against masculinity. Oh, it's toxic oh, yeah. masculinity. Oh, my God. And, yes. and, you know, boys can't be men and they can't participate. Well, that's to kill that instinct. Sure. That's to kill the ability to think for yourself and react and stand up for what's right. And, and they do that on purpose. And they have dread. Yeah, I, the last couple of generations, you know, I, I don't want to generalize. There's a lot of good mm-hmm. millennials and Zoomers and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of good people out there, but the vast majority have right. no clue anymore. They don't know how to build a fire, how to. They, they, fire. let me tell you something. They, and I know that changing a tire is more complicated nowadays than it, once, than it was once upon a time. Yeah. But, you know, in other words, sometimes it's not like before, like where you would just, you know, jack up the car and undo the, you know, sometimes they hide the tire somewhere in the body of the car. I, I get it. Yeah. But like you said, something where before 80 or 90% of men would know how to do that, yes. among other simple tasks. Yes. They don't. They don't. They they have no idea. They're like, and... The reason why I know this is once upon a time, I used to dispatch for the state troopers. Oh, okay. Uh, so, you know. Florida. Yeah. And, you know, we would get a lot of calls for, 
you know, people stuck on the highway. And they also mm-hmm. had something called here called the Road Rangers, which is yeah. because once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, the troopers would actually change your tires for you. But this was many, many, yeah. many years ago. But now they yeah. have these Road Rangers, which they go and, you know, if you need a tire change or you run out of gas, they give they at least get you off the highway or give you a gallon of gas, whatever. Bottom right. line, though, I would get all these calls for men, <laughs> okay, <laughs> who it's not that they didn't have a spare tire. They, you know. It they didn't know it was just, where it was. They had no clue, none, and mm-hmm. this was a lot of them. So when you say that, I understand firsthand how accurate that was, and um, yeah, and I don't know. I I I think of my uncle and my grandfather and things like this that, that they they knew how to do stuff. You know, they, exactly. at least they knew how to build stuff, kind of. I'm not going to tell you they were architects or builders. You know, I had one one uncle that, yeah, that he was in construction, but they, they had this thing where they could, they tried to figure stuff out. Yes. And basic stuff around the house, they would do it. And nowadays, they're like, yeah, they'd be like, unless it was like something like they'd say, okay, this is, this is uh, not a, but no, they, and nowadays, that's gone by the wayside. Yeah. And, and that, that has gone by that's the wayside. To create a, a docile, yes. weak population that is easily manipulated, and that's what you see now. Yes, yeah. I think that's why handymen make a lot of money sometimes. Oh, sure, it's a great profession. <laughs> it's... You know, forget about a degree yeah. in psychology. Yeah, that's you useful. That never make money at that. But uh, uh, no, become a to, handyman. <laughs> know how to unplug a, a sink, or uh, you know. Yes, I know, and and, and I know that. To maybe to some people that might think, well, it's not that, that important, but at the the basis of it, of all the problems that come with it, of what you said, whether it's the way that the indoctrination mm-hmm. of uh, of you know you know men, uh, that, what's the th- God, you know that they've thrown the thing at, at manhood as misogyny, uh, yeah. you know the 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 chauvinist. Remember when there was in the eighties yeah. the chauvinist that was like one of the terms, and all these things, and and of course they always use the worst case scenarios as an example you see what i'm saying yeah okay so um, yeah there are some bad examples oh, of course of course um, there is but you know but that's the I'm, case I'm, for I'm, everything in life <laughs> it's like what? yeah but you know in 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 my 65 years on this planet the number of men that were that 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 were predators or were obnoxious oh, less than a handful my whole life you know? yeah Yes. Most men I know, they want to be good men. They want to help. They're not interested in dominating women yes. or any, any of that stuff. They're just regular guys. They want to earn a living. They want to come home, have a beer and a hamburger and watch the football game. And I, I hate sports myself, professional sports. I never watch that crap. But anyways, uh, you know, good for them. Yeah, I know. It, You're not hurting anybody. They just want to be left alone, you know. Well, my family is Cuban. I was born in Miami, but my family is from Cuba. They're Hispanics, you know, so I know a lot of people have that stereotype about Hispanics and Cubans. Really? Oh, please. Yes, of course he is. Yeah. Yes, I know. He comes from that Castro lineage. Yeah, let's do a genetic DNA test on him. Let's send him to Ancestry.com and see what comes back. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, you know, Cubans get that, you know, even though. And I, same thing, even though the Hispanics and, yes, the, the macho man the mentality and stuff, even though they've calmed down, I didn't grow up. 
where men were exactly like what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah, trying yeah. to like, hey, be you know misogynists or anything. And I, I grew up surrounded by f men, family members. Yeah, and by by okay, macho were, Hispanic, you know. By the way, I yeah, love... Yeah, you know what? It may be their portrayal, but within their family. Um, let me tell you, I my experience was that they were very good men. They took care of their families. They were responsible. Exactly. Um, exactly. They never, nobody ever got abused or hit or anything. <laughs> it, was, it was a very yeah. normal upbringing. And my point being that even coming from, like what you were saying earlier, even coming from a, a culture... I'm not saying it's not flawless. No, no, believe me. There were some that you'd be like, Oy. but sure. I, I never saw or experienced anything like that. That existed. Of course it did. Of course it did. Yeah. But like you were saying, when you, when you make it look like everybody's like that or every man yeah. is like that. And unfortunately, yeah. you know, um, that, that, um, that mentality, it's inculcated over several years, lots of years, as a matter yeah. of fact. And then you yeah. come out well, with what we have now, which is the helpless. Some men are want to be. It's more important to be nice <laughs> or yeah. good guy, yeah, you know, than be yeah. uh, effective. I hate to say it, but yeah. um, I'll give that's, you an example. Go ahead. Of toxic masculinity, I was coming home one night, and I was at the subway station. It was probably like two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. There was me and six women standing on the platform. And the women were spread out over, you know, 50 yards, right? And me at one end. And, uh, well, the subway train was late. It didn't come. And then, you know, it's supposed to come every eight minutes. Eight minutes go by. 16 minutes go by. 24 minutes go by. 31 minutes go by. No subway. And there's nobody there. It was like, like a, um, um, what do you call that? Um, outer limits, not outer limits. The twilight zone. Okay. It's like a twilight zone episode, right? And then, mm -hmm. then the lights would go on and off, and you'd hear strange noises down the tunnel. Well, this went on for an hour, and a half. We didn't hear any announcements. Nothing was going on. It was like like a horror movie, right? Okay. Suddenly, the the world is empty. The the trains aren't running, and there's nobody around, and there's no announcements. Well, after an hour and a half, all six women were within three feet of me. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Of course. You know, <laughs> At the beginning, they were standing down the platform, and little by little, it shrunk down. Exactly. It was like little by little. You know, like. Because the longer it took for the train to arrive, the more nervous. I mean, I was. Oh, of course, nervous. they're thinking. They're, yeah, everybody' imagination goes off into. Yeah. Worst yeah. case scenario. Alien invasion. It's finally yeah. happened. You know? Whatever. It's like okay, just in case <laughs> he's gonna. Yeah. And so you know, even though they started off a long way away from me, but slowly they kind of. Yes. You know, nonchalantly, you know, kind of wandered around, wandered around. But every time they wandered around, yes. it was another two feet closer until I had all six women standing within six feet of me, okay? So that's yes. your toxic masculinity, okay? Because, yes. and again, it's what I talked about earlier about the chi, right? Um, mm -hmm. I do, you know, use the chi, but it's, it's, it's a calming effect on people. People know yes. that I'm strong and gentle, 
and that's very comforting to be around and you know yourself if you were mm-hmm. you know it was a stormy night and and the the lights went out and, and and the windows were rattling and lightning bolts were striking around the house and all that and you had a strong quiet gentleman you sure. would feel a lot better right sure of course yeah. especially yeah. if i hear a noise outside yeah yes it's like yeah I, of course of course of course you you um it's one of these things that um it, it goes without saying you know um where you always want to to um how can i say in especially in situations like that but sometimes your imagination goes into sure. you know the dark places yeah or, yeah or anything or of course absolutely you you want to feel like, like okay it's even though sometimes instead of this person coming looking to you for you to be the the one you know unless it's a child of course that's different okay yeah. for you to be the one with the solutions or the that you have that uh as an adult woman to to go to absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. of course yeah, you know I'm, course. I'm that a, goes without saying a rugged looking that goes guy without saying. so i don't look like a wimp and uh, i'm very calm all the time uh you know i'm a stoic you can't piss me off you can't. Well, other than the government, which <laughs> pisses me off all the time. But you know, you can come up to me, call me names, and all like I don't care. You know, I'm not gonna. Re- I'm not gonna rise up to that stuff. Well, so- you know what? The the one of the things that you were discussing about what we were, you were talking about earlier about what seems to be brewing around us. Mm-hmm. Okay, regardless of where you live at, whether it's the U.S. or Canada or anywhere. Um. You know, I think for the first time, a lot of people that normally wouldn't pay attention to this are paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, because, for lack of a better word, they had their head stuck in the sand. Yes. They were absolutely. lazy. How's that? Lazy. Yeah. It's like, whatever. And scared. Um, and scared. Well, now they're scared. But, uh, I hate to say it, but a lot of what's happened, we have no one else to blame but ourselves. Oh, yeah. Okay? yeah. You know, but but here we are. You know, In other words, okay, here we are. Whatever. Um, and, you know, there's people that, and I'm sure there's some people that are still like out there, like thinking, you know, the aliens are going to land and save us or something like that. But, uh-huh. um, I'm sure you know that there's some out there that think that, uh, that have, it scares them to be responsible for themselves and for their safety. Yeah. And again, it scares them. I, yeah. And, you know, it's easy to blame people for that, but I, I'll be honest with you, I'm very forgiving about that because I know the reason they are like that is because they went to public school mm-hmm. and because they watched television <laughs> and because they went to college. That's why they're like that. Yeah. They've been programmed that way. They had no idea. Nobody warned them that they were going to be programmed into being terrified yeah. little ninnies. Uh, and that's what the result. Wow. So it's easy to say, yeah, look, you know, they're afraid and they're stupid and they're not awake and all. Yeah, it's true they are like that, but mm-hmm. ultimately the responsibility is the people that run this world. Listen, if I was in charge of the education system, <laughs> well, let me tell you, you know, I, I would design programs where you know all the men that came out of college would be like me you know, confident and strong and caring and kind and, 
and have skills and not be intimidated by things and self-reliant and work it out yourself, you know, um, if I was in charge right. of right. running education. Well, the thing is this, is it's once upon a time, I mean, I went through 12 years of Catholic school, you know, I, you know, yeah. I, I went through that, but the, the, how can I say it? Once upon a time, uh, because I had friends that were in public school, and the you had especially they had woodworking they they had different programs and back then they didn't assume that you wanted to go off to college there were trade schools right. there were there were options for yeah. especially men yeah to to go into and go for it, it, you had options depending on what you like to do or what your aspirations were yeah. and all of that has disappeared all of that yeah. has yeah. disappeared no, uh, um, when I grew up, that was the where before you could mm -hmm. apprentice for whatever the trade was. Yeah. Um. They people. And I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put in my. Uh, because I moved to, up from Miami about a year ago, and you know. You know, through the years, a lot of Cubans have ended up in Miami, and sure. a lot of what they call the rafters. And my mm -hmm. point being, a, a lot of these people were born in and raised under communist rule in Cuba. Mm -hmm. All right. And you want me to tell you what they, you know, that, that, that myth, it's not a myth. I know some people are going to upset that they say, oh, follow your passion. It'll make you money. Right. They don't. When they land in Miami, you know what they all do? They just set no. up a small business yeah. or they go study how to fix air conditioners or yeah. they become phlebotomists. Or yeah. anything that's short-term, plus studying English, that th will get them money. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. They're out there hustling from the moment they put their foot and start trying to find ways of getting into some type of trade or, or field yeah. that doesn't require four or six years to get a diploma. You yeah. understand? Oh, yeah. And even the ones that have some degree, they still have to apprentice and they'll do other things. But they're out there from the beginning learning what a lot of people don't want to want to do because, hey, why should I be a phlebotomist if I really want to become a doctor? There's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But they're always looking in, how do I make money? Yeah. So that – and then you meet them five years later and they own a house, a little house. You see yeah. what I'm saying? And they've oh, got their yeah. car. Yeah. And they're making their way. You and know, they got the family, and there's food on the table, and and uh, there's food on the table, and there's you know, and maybe at the at the beginning, two years later, they had a little kind of like little car that was old and beat up. Then right. three years later, they trade that in. But from the beginning, they, in other words, they didn't look at it as what am I going to do that makes me happy and fulfilled. I know there's a lot of people out there going, Marlene, what are you saying? Yeah. They're out there to make money and survive, and then eventually maybe get into a field they like. But I think a lot of uh, the college crowd, recent oh, ones, they yeah. kind of miss that boat. They, yeah. it's like, go out there and hustle and make money, and you know, and of course, you know, now there's a bunch of them running around with this huge financial uh, debt because of their student loans. Oh, yeah. All right, yeah. because of that. Yeah. And um, <laughs> what was it? Um, or or was it pursuing their uh, their their degree in gender studies? <laughs> you know which turns out to be as useful as if you had a degree in macrame but yeah. um 
uh, things like this, it's, it's, um, and here we are, but here we are, you know, we could say discuss all the reasons why we mm -hmm. are where we are with our millennials or whatever, and why a lot of them are wigged out. Yeah. And some of them yeah. are finally paying attention. Um, and one of the things I wanted to talk about, among other things, is that you want, you detailed the, how can I say, the, the behaviors that you see with people that are psychopaths. Right. And the reason why I bring this up, and I mentioned it earlier before we started recording, is I think a lot of people are surprised to see how many psychopaths are actually running ar around and hold yeah. important positions. All yes. right. And many make the, make the mistake of thinking psychopath as in Dexter. It's a guy running around killing people. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's some of those, but not all are serial killers. As a matter of fact, a lot of them are not serial killers. And yeah. they know how to behave certain ways in society to get away with it. But if you could talk about that, Stefan, as far as what are the, the how you could tell if you run across one. Well, it's very difficult to tell. But like I said, um, I was going to get into the... The psychopath thing was when I was researching my book, 36 Strategies, about war. Okay. And uh, I started to notice personality traits of all these emperors, you know, the Roman emperors, Caligula and Nero and Augustus Caesar, and then going over into, you know, the Chinese emperors and, and the Japanese shoguns and the French kings and the English kings. And they were all psychopaths. But what really hit home to me was reading about World War I because I realized that the generals and the politicians that on both sides, but mostly on the Allied side, okay, the British and the American and all that, um, this whole trench warfare that they had set up made absolutely no sense from a strategic point of view. I, I would never, if I had been in charge, I would never have done that. I would have... no. No trenches. That's not how you fight wars. They did that on purpose to kill a lot of 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old boys. That's why World War I was fought. It was fought not because we were defending Europe from, from the Germans or because that had nothing to do with it. The entire war was orchestrated and run from the very beginning with one purpose in mind, other than to make money for the bankers, but the other purpose mm -hmm. was to kill a lot of people. They did it on purpose. I'll give you an example. The famous General Pershing, I, I don't know if you've heard of him. Yes, I they have. named a tank after him, and I think there's a statue of him in West Point, all right? Now, on November Probably. 11th at 8 o'clock in the morning, he gets a telegram saying that we're signing an armistice, armistice at 11 o'clock this afternoon. That's why we get 11, 11, 11, right? Which is Remembrance Day, mm -hmm. which is the end of World War One. So basically, in three hours, the war is over. You know what this, jet, this son of a bitch Pershing did? He ordered his men out of the trenches to make a full frontal assault on the Germans. Head on into the machine guns, resulting in, I forget how many, what the number was, 3,000, 4,000 casualties. 
knowing that the war is going to be over in three hours, that this hell was coming to an end, and knowing that every time you ordered your men up over the over the, the, the lip of the trench, and they had to, you know, race 200 yards across no man's land through barbed wire and mortar fire and machine gun fire, and, and they'd been doing that for four years, and it resulted in nothing but thousands, hundreds of thousands of deaths. Three hours before the war ended, he ordered his men to go and attack the Germans. And now, that is you. a psychopath, okay? Now, he's yes, not a is. serial killer. Right. But he's a mass murderer because, yes. as a psychopath, he was able to get into a position of power in the military. And then when you have these people in positions of power, they don't have to go. You know, how many people does a serial killer? I think, you know, the record is something like 40, 60 people. Right. You get these people in government. They're psychopaths. Now, they don't personally kill everybody, but they arrange it. And the they blood on their hands. Circumstance. Exactly. And so that's what this guy did. So he, you know, the war was over. He wanted to kill another 4,000 of his own troops. These yeah, were American boys. You know, and think about a Norman Rockwell painting, right? Yes. How Norman Rockwell portrayed American life in those yeah, times. Yeah, Americana you know, and all that, yes. The Americana, the wholesomeness, and understand that a lot of these people, a lot of the soldiers, they were farm kids yes you know they they, they, they went the off they they were thinking of war in a very like romantic what's the only word i can think of romantic absolutely. way of going off to war not knowing really what what was waiting for them not knowing what was going on they had a romantic and, and naive of course but you know they, they bought into the propaganda because all war propaganda is the same yes even today yes. you know let's go out and defend your country and save and and the girls back home oh. will love you when you come back with a medal you know right. uh, yes. you know they buy into all that propaganda so these were just farm kids they were young boys yeah. you know they and they had uh, that mustard know. the use of the mustard gas and stuff like oh. that was which was horrendous the, the uh, entire the entirety of World War One was a horror show on all yes. levels, you know. And, of course, most of the injuries were facial injuries. These were because they were peak up over the, over the trench and they'd have their nose mm -hmm. blown off, their face blown off, half their head blown off. And they'd survive, you know. Um, you know, but then, you know, the rest of their life they have to go around wearing a mask. Right. Right? Exactly. Because half their exactly. face is gone. You know, yeah, there was and, a lot of psychological trauma. Also, a lot of them came back very traumatized. Exactly, very traumatized because, oh my God, look at the, you know, they would go to bed at night and rats would be eating their face. You know, I mean, it was. Mm -hmm. And when I read the, you know, World War One history, that's when I knew that it was psychopaths behind that. That's when I started my research into psychopaths. What are these people? What, who could do that to their fellow men? What? What are they? And that's how I discovered psychopaths. Now, psychopaths are very difficult to spot because a lot of times they're very charming. That's why they make good politicians. They're almost all compulsive liars, right? So yes. when you see all these presidential speeches and their campaign speeches and all that, oh my God, it, that not a word of truth has ever passed their lips. Because they're psychopaths. They're good at lying. You and I would blush if we told the right. kind of lies these people tell.
but they don't blush because they're psychopaths. They have no, no shame, no conscience. So they can do this, and then other people go, "Well, how you know? How could he lie that much? He must be telling the truth." No, no, he's not telling the truth. He's a psychopath. And don't they learn also how to mimic regular emotion for the benefit oh, of others, absolutely. so that they, they don't do fall under suspicion? And they do that from an early age, psychopaths. Yes. They, starting at the age of like four, five, six, they already start to mimic you because they know they are different. They know that like you're crying because your dog died and they look at you and, and think, why is Marlene crying? It's just a stupid dog, right? They don't get it, but they know that they have to imitate it in order not to stand out as a freak. So at an early age, they start, oh, right. Marlene. All they, all they have to do is get one or a couple like weird glances. They realize, that, ooh. That's yeah. right. Well, yeah. I'm sure, haven't you heard these people that have murdered their spouses or girlfriends from both sexes, by the way? Sure. Yeah. And then they get caught because a week later they're out partying. You know? yeah. And they don't get it. They don't see what's wrong. That's right. Why the police is now suspecting them because they're like, you know, hey, I, I'm hooking up with my mistress or I'm with my boyfriend and we're going off to Cancun to have a good time. So, so-and-so died last week. What's the big deal? Yeah. Because they just, they don't get it. They, they don't just... get it. Mm-hmm. I remember that famous case. I forget her name. She uh, murdered her, her little four-year-old daughter. Remember that Casey one? Anthony. Casey Anthony. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so her daughter's missing. Everybody's looking for her. And, and yes. she's out partying. She's having a good time. Yes. That's why I knew she was guilty immediately because she's a psychopath. Yes. Now, well, this... there was a there was a story that I recently was researching. Uh, something along the this is the this couple they had adopted a kid in Florida, okay, like in nineteen seventy something when he was seven years old. They fostered him, then they adopted him. Mm-hmm. They in Florida. They moved to Alabama when he's like thirteen years old. Okay, suddenly he disappears. All right. The father says that he had a, ki- a kid in the, in the town, which is a smaller Alabama town, say that he saw the kid walking away with a stranger. All right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The police think it's a runaway. The parents, the adopted parents put out flyers. The newspapers come and interview them. They're like, oh, yeah. it's agony, quote unquote yeah. agony. They yeah. do everything that you would think these straw parents. Fast forward nine years. In the early 90s, they sell the house, and the new owners. This was a, it was a like a hundred year old uh, antebellum house. Mm-hmm. Under the, it's got those big columns in the front. Yeah, yeah. They're excavating under the front porch because they're remodeling. And what yeah. do they find? The 13 uh-huh. year old's body. Okay. Yeah. And these parents, especially the father, the one that actually killed him. They were telling anybody who would listen to them and basically pointing the finger at the police because the police wasn't taking them seriously because the police thought it was a runaway and somebody had taken their son. Mm-hmm. But in reality, he had killed them. They yeah. had even offered a reward because, of course, they knew nobody was going to claim it because sure. he was under the front yeah. porch. Yeah. And it's almost like what you were saying. They do all these uh, this pantomime, this theater yes, to throw people off. Yeah. And you and you would think most people, most normal people, would be like, I, I could never do that. I couldn't fake that. Yeah. Well, that's that's the problem. You see, normal people can't wrap their minds around psychopaths, and that's why 
I started writing about them. I, I wrote about them in my book, The Art of Urban Survival, which is a book on, um, <clears throat> you know, how to survive uh, what's coming. You know, uh, it's actually a prophecy. I knew this was all coming down the end of civilization. And so the book is laid out in exactly that order. Um, but the very first chapter is psychopaths. Because I, I knew the psychopaths are dominating everything. And people need, before we can make a better world, before, if you don't know and you don't understand the psychology of psychopaths, you will not have a clue as to why things are going the way they are going now. You know, um, you need to understand it. If you don't understand them, you will be a victim of them. And as a society, we need to understand them because we are being victimized. And you know why that's so important, what you're saying, Stefan? Yeah. My concern is that nowadays, exactly what we're talking about, people, uh, what's the word, I'm looking, are so helpless that they'll mm -hmm. listen to somebody who demonstrates any type of confidence. Yeah. And it's like, my, my concern is people that will fall into the trap of following or accepting from a, a psychopath, like uh, as in Jim Jones, that you would think, yeah. who would believe this? But nowadays, I can see where a lot of people which are just scared they're scared of the shadow falling yeah. into the clutches of somebody of what we would call a psychopath um basically god god knows what they're capable of yeah um and i and it's like okay you know better to work it out and and i'm hoping you know that they look at these earmarks ahead of time and they realize what they're dealing with before they fall into a situation with somebody uh, regardless of what they title themselves as, whether it's a politician, a clergy, yep. um, doctor. anything, doctor, yep. God, <laughs> yeah, I have no yeah. idea. Look at um, Dr. Fauci, classic psychopath. Classic. Yes, yes, and and people think, um, it, um, I think one of the things also that, not because you know when they say something and they double down on a lie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like they're. They they can't get beyond their themselves. They're how dare you question me? Yeah, they always you know. double down on their lies. Always, yes. always. A, a psychopath will never say, "Okay, you caught me." Never. Oh my God! You know, look look at that uh, Jesse Smollett clown. I do, I, do, I I you know what that I, I stopped looking at that towards the end after the last thing that uh, that he's I'm. I'm not gonna. Kill. He's like, you're you're not an actor. Stop. You're in court now. You don't have. You're not going out for the Academy Awards. Nobody I'm not is going to an kill actor. myself. Well, I know, I know, an, in his mind. But it's like, no. But that's what psychopaths are. They're actors. Yeah, they're always doing. Uh, they fake that all the time. So even though, you know, when I first heard the story, I laughed. I went, what? Yeah. <laughs> White supremacist, Chicago, Chicago. late at night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. And folks, the, if you want to commit suicide and you're a white man, just go walk down the streets of Chicago. Yeah, uh, it's after like, dark. Okay, see how long you last. And they're attacking black men, and and with that. so I knew the story from the very beginning was total, and I knew yes. he was a psychopath. Only a psychopath would come up with such an outrageous lie, and then during the trial and everything else with his Nigerian friends and the, the, the yeah. CCTV is, footage and. And even getting convicted, and what's he doing now? Comes out with a song saying how he's so innocent and he's being set up. That is a psychopath. They never yes. stop with the lies, okay? 
You got to understand. And a lot of people go, well, you know, he must be innocent because if he was guilty, how could he, how you could, know, yeah. you know, in face of all this evidence and, and the, the obviousness of his lies and he's still maintaining he's in it. So maybe he is. How, look, folks, don't get fooled by that. And that's how they fool people. That's how the politicians fool people. Look at Biden up there. Oh, it's it's all Putin's fault. Oh, for Christ's sakes, you know. But, well, you know what it is? You know what it is? If you're going to tell a lie, tell a big whopper. Tell a big tell one. Tell a big whopper. The because the enormity of it will leave people like, how could it be a lie? It's so huge. It's like, yeah, yes. But that's what they do. And, um, Don't get fooled by it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can call them out. You can have them dead to rights. They will still lie. They will still lie and squirm and manipulate. But that's what makes them successful. That's why psychopaths will infiltrate and dominate every power structure. We often hear about the the pyramid, you know, in in the occult world and how it's evil. For me, what the pyramid is, is a organizational flow chart. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. The king's at top. Okay. Then, you know, the barons and dukes are the next level. And then the ministers and the level below that, right? So it's it's a flow chart. It's an organizational flow chart. And you have that chart in every organization. There's the pope and then there's the bishops and the cardinals. So same thing. It's a pyramid structure. You have your corporate structure. You have your CEO and CFO. And uh, vice presidents and all, it's, again, it's a flow chart. And psychopaths are attracted to power yes. like flies are attracted to shit. And whatever that power, the police department, municipal government, federal government, state government, corporations, the medical association, anytime you have a hierarchical structure, which is why... Um, I'm a bit of an anarchist. Because it gives them control. That's what they crave, control. Control, exactly. Now, they will always get hey. to the top position, control always, unless unless you have a population with a lot of people like me around that can call them out on it, can see through them, and can try to prevent them. Right. But, you know, Marlene, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a rare species now. It wasn't so... Earlier and well, nowadays. Were... Well, I, yeah. I think, and I know that the people are going to say, "Well, Marlene, you're going into um, uh, paranoid or conspiracy land." But sometimes I think that for quite some time—not recently, but for quite some time—a lot of major corporations and or agencies have oh. actively promoted this personality type. Yeah. Okay. It's like, this is Absolutely. what you would think. Who would want that? And then not just one, several of them. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. It was like they were, they were, how can I say they were, you know, when somebody does an application for a position, somewhere mm-hmm. along the lines, they're looking for certain that will fit that bill as in that, that mm-hmm. uh, psychological profile. And they advance them because I worked for many years also in a major corporation. And you would see sometimes people getting advanced. And you're like, I don't get that. Yeah. I don't get that. I, yeah. they, this person is like, mm. but one thing they were really good at, they were very cutthroat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's uh, why it's normal people cannot compete against them. You know, normal, yeah. healthy, 
people that have a moral code, you cannot compete against them. You will lose. And I'll tell you why. Let's say, you know, me and another psychopath, we're, we're working for a corporation. We want to apply for the position of vice president or whatever. And uh, we're in competition with each other. Now, what the psychopath will do is put some cocaine in my desk drawer, uh, download some child pornography onto my computer, start a whisper campaign amongst all the other employees around the water cooler. Oh, did you see Steph? Does he look like he's on coke? I, and he's sniffling a lot these days. Yeah. And, and then I'm uh, concerned. You know, I'm concerned for him because I hope you know something's not going on with him. I hope they do he's that not a lot. On drugs and yeah. Uh huh. You know, and then you know, and then uh, uh, do an anonymous tip to the police or to the boss or something. And yeah. Well, then they come and they look at my desk drawer. Oh, there's coke in there. Um. But because they set it all, they've already set it up with the whisper campaign. Yeah, they have, in major corporation, they have something called an ombudsman, okay, uh, yeah. which is basically a snitch line. Yeah. Supposedly, you keep your anonymity, but you're reporting to the ombudsman anything of concern along the lines of what yeah. you just described. Yeah. Oh, Stefan's been hitting on the secretaries and all that, whatever, you know. So then yeah. time comes for your promotion. Guess who they're going to mm -hmm. promote? Now, you can't think to do that. You can't think to slip cocaine into the desk drawer of your opponent or, or uh, upload some pornography onto his no. website or whatever. But they think of that. They know how to do no. that. And that's why they win every time. We cannot compete with them because they are well, incorrigible. You know, sure. They'll do anything. They'll sleep with the boss. They'll invite their boss over to their house and have their 12-year-old daughter sleep with the boss, right? That's what these people do. And um, that's why they get promoted. You don't know why they got promoted, but he flaunted his, his, his six-year-old uh, well, son in front of them or whatever, you know. They know because a lot of people, and especially up in the, in, in the higher echelons, they're sick people. Psychopaths are sick people. Same thing with... All this oh, yeah. child molestation. Psychopaths are notorious for, mm -hmm. for targeting children. Yes. So anytime you have a bunch of psychopaths yes. in control, you will see a lot of child trafficking. I'm thinking Hollywood, yes. Disney, the music industry. Why do you think we hear all these stories about all these, you know, child actors being raped and, uh, you know, uh, pop stars yep. like Britney Spears, of course, she's been raped probably since she was eight. Yeah. Why? Because they yes. work in an industry dominated by psychopaths, which is Hollywood. Wow. Which is the music industry. And chances are that one of the parents might even be a psychopath. <clears throat> because most parents, I'm not going to say all parents, most parents would either be very vigilant or at the first sign of something like this, they would pull their kid out and say, I don't care. If you don't make the money, but I'm not going to leave you in that cesspool. That's but they right. don't care That's if the price right. they pay for 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 fame or riches via their child yeah. is that their kid is basically, um, yeah, okay. For the price of putting you in the what was it that they were in the Mickey Mouse Club? This is for a lot Mouse of them. Club. This was the yeah. springboard for them as children. Okay, yeah. the price, of course, stated behind closed doors is that we're basically going to peddle your child around yeah. to pederasts. 
That's um, what it is. It was a documentary. And the parents about, are like, oops, okay. Yeah. About Michael Jackson. And now and, Michael Jackson is a victim yeah. of childhood abuse, right? And, Absolutely, um, yes. But you see, if you, you, you have a tendency towards being a psychopath, now not all psychopaths are evil. There no, is a like doctor. There is a doctor. I forget his name. Um, he uh, came out with a book called The Warrior Gene, and he had devised mm-hmm. a genetic test to test if you have that gene, you would tend to be a psychopath. And um, he tested it himself, and he had that. He was a psychopath, and he went to his family and. He told his family, he said, um, I just found out I'm a psychopath. And his family said, yeah, we know. But you're not a I bad know they, that, they don't realize you know that until they speak to. Yeah. They, there's also something called a dark triad. Yes. Which I yeah. think is psychopath, narcissism. What's the third one? I can't remember right now. Which has yeah, certain sociopath. traits. Yeah. It was, is it sociopath? That yeah. There's certain traits that basically you can, you can, um, what you might call it, rate yourself on, like different degrees of. Yeah. And it's really funny because a lot of the people that do that self-identify with one of these pathologies, they really get it when they ask their family members. And their family members are like, yeah, you're a real jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're like, huh? Yeah. But this, um, uh, and that's this, to put it uh, nicely. Yeah, this uh, doctor's family said, yeah, we know you're a psychopath. You don't. You don't cry when, when when the dog dies, and uh, you know you don't feel the things that we feel. But you've always been a good man to us. So he had the psychopathic gene. So he doesn't. He's unable to process empathy, right? And uh, now, if you take somebody with that and you abuse them, now they become a serial Ooh. killer violence absolutely if they are brought right. up in a violent environment but say yeah. for example they'll say with the psychopaths because they have no remorse they, they don't understand love the way we do and they'll say well you'll hear psychopaths that get married and have children they say well depends if they see the need where the marriage to a certain person whether because of her position or her looks will benefit him right let's go with a politician right yeah. okay where hey having a wife and kids is going to benefit him greatly an advancement through the political, you know, ladder. Yeah. So of course he picks a certain woman that looks maybe a certain way with a certain personality, right. uh, and he will have the kids, and he cares about them, but only in the scope of what they do for him. Sure. All right. Yeah. And in, in in other words, I hate to say it, everything around him is meant to be used in some way to have him achieve what it is, whatever it is that he wants. Ultimately, of course, with control being the, um, the ultimate objective. Yeah. Uh, for example, they'll say some psychopaths which have a tendency towards being arsonists. Mm-hmm. They set a fire and they'll watch. But what they get their status, not, not because they're trying to kill anybody, you know, they'll do it like, let's say, after hours or something. But they enjoy watching the fire department and everybody running around trying to put out the fire and they feel I control them. I made them do all this, you know, the hoses and the sirens and the, they'll be watching because this is how they get their satisfaction. And for most human beings, they go, that's satisfying. 
And it's like, yeah, for somebody who doesn't get reward from love and other things, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I understand what you're saying. When you're normal, whatever normal is, okay, I mean, that's a broad term. It's very difficult for us to understand that. Very difficult. That and that's why the psychopaths get away with what they get away with. They, sure. listen, they control the world right now. Every major corporation. It's very every, sad, but yes. Yeah, every political system, you know, like I, I haven't voted in 50 years. I, I wouldn't waste my time because I know they're all going to be psychopaths. Every so one nice. of them. So, Stefan, let, let's 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 get down. Let's say all hell breaks loose. And like I've told people, I, I live down in South Florida in hurricanes. I've been in situations where there's no electricity, uh, looting's mm -hmm. going on. People don't realize how quick, how quick we devolve into that. And that was a very minor scale in comparison mm -hmm. to something more broad as in the U.S., a breakdown of the economy, even if it's temporary, whatever. I've seen it break down. Even with the military in town, I've seen it happen mm -hmm. uh, with looting and everything. Let's say here you are, you're at home or wherever you live, whether it's the suburbs or a little bit out in the rural area. And, you know, you. what what would you say to somebody that comes asking you for for food? And we're well, like, this is the when school, this is when now the stores are empty and, you know, either they've been ransacked and there's nothing and nothing's rolling in out nowhere. It doesn't, in other yeah. words, it doesn't matter whether you have money or not. There's just nothing to buy. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, uh, and that's a scenario we are most likely going to enter into very shortly. They've already been warning mm -hmm. us. They've already been foreshadowing that, right? Like in, in writing when you right. want to. You, you, you want to get the reader ready for the, you know, the big punch. You foreshadow it so that they're yes. anticipating it. And they've been doing that to us. They're already telling us Biden, Trudeau here, you know, or as I like to call him, Adolf Castro. Um, yes. They're ready to warning people about food shortages. So what? Also, yes. you, you study the history of communism. What did the communists always do? They starve their populations. We yes. are under a, a communist regime right now. Oh, they don't call themselves communists. Doesn't matter what they call themselves. You know, we, we you know, I, I, I had my uh, my doctor friend wrote a series of essays. We discussed it. We, we wrote it in general about the tyranny of words. You can't believe the words. It doesn't matter. These people lie. They say, yes. oh, we're Democrats. Oh, we care about Black Lives Matter. They don't care about Whatever. any of that stuff. Forget it. It's all just bullshit. They're lying. Yes. So, you know, so they're not saying, oh, we're communist Marxists and we want to take over the... Of course, they're not going to say that. They're psychopaths. They know better than to say that. But that's what they are, and that's what they're doing. Look what's happened in the last two years. Look what's happened yes. in the last three months here in Canada where we had a peaceful, the most peaceful. And I went out and I greeted the truckers when they, when they all went past through uh, our mm -hmm. small town. I was there on the highway waving the flags, and they were honking the horns. The most peaceful protest. Yes. And all the people that supported them, they were farmers, they were wife, uh, families, grandmas, toddlers. Yeah, regular people. Regular salt-of-the-earth people. And then they get there to Ottawa, and, and the little psychopath there, Adolf Castro, says, oh, they're Nazis and, and yeah. racists and all that. And I went, you son of a 
bitch, dirty, low life, little piece of crap, you know, because these were the people, again, from a Norman Rockwell painting, okay? Good, honest, hardworking people. And look at what he did. Confiscated their bank accounts, took their trucks, called them every name under the book, instituted martial law, for crying out loud, martial law. Emergency Powers Act, which has only been enacted once in the history of Canada, and the and, and the only other time was during World War II. So it's something that you only institute if you're at war in a world war. This is how quickly that's all changed. Well, so, I think a lot of people have realized what politicians can do with the emergency powers. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So it's a communist system, and the communists always starve people that's what stalin did with the holodomor there in the ukraine and his own people too the russians everybody starved uh look at mao zedong 80 million people 80 million people probably the biggest genocide in human history mao zedong look at the uh, the khmer rouge in cambodia um look at um well cuba they did the same and Yes, they did. And they, uh, they, they, what they, was that? The other one, Nicaragua, Venezuela. Mm-hmm. When the well, originally uh, the Sandinistas and in Nicaragua, and now they're back. I can't believe it. Yeah, they got the communist out, and now they've fallen right back into it, which is a shame. Terrible. But um, that's what they do. It, 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 yeah, they do. Movies. Look at look at Venezuela. My God, people are eating zoo animals for the love of my. I, I uh, say that all the time. They're eating their cats you know, and dogs. Yes. Yes. So America. And, um, and you know what the worst part is? That people don't realize this. And I'm familiar with it because I said, I, I mean, I was born and raised in Miami, but let's face it, it was a Cuban exile community. And so you hear this thing of promoting snitching. And that yeah. makes my blood boil. Me because too. In, in Cuban, they call them achivato. And in Cuba, what they would do is they would put somebody on your block. All right. Yeah. And this person, this snitch, all they would do is watch everybody on that block to see who was coming and who was going. And did I smell meat cooking from your house? Wait, they did not give any meat out this week from the monthly whatever, you know, when you stood in line. They would do things like this. And they're they're doing the line. Nowadays in this society... We have fallen into the same thing where once upon a time being a snitch was a rat. This was the lowest on the, you know, you're like, nobody likes you. You're a rat. And now it's been elevated to like, oh, you care. Yeah, all right. Yeah, look what they're doing in England. They're paying snitches here in Canada too. Yes. Recently, they they released the uh, records from East Germany, from the Mm -hmm. Stasi there, and fully... 40% 40% of East Germans were snitches. Yes. So, but again, this is what communists do. This way, it divides the people. You cannot trust yes. your neighbor. You can't trust your school teacher. You probably can't trust your sister. Yes, they, they, they will turn uh, people, uh, your, your, how can I say it? Your allies, your possible allies... They turn yeah. them into uh, where everybody's. And by the way, everybody says, "Well, 
what are you supposed to do if, let's say, the government, whatever level, comes to you and says, hey, I want you to be the, the snitch, the whatever, but they're not going to call it a snitch. They're going to call it the whatever, the monitor. Yeah. We want you to do that. And you're like, well, you know, how can I? And then I'll be in trouble, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? You can always go to that person that they're looking at and go, by the way, especially if you know who the person is, they've got their eye on you and they're asking me to look at you. Please yeah. don't. You know, in other words, give yeah. this person a heads up. You know, and then feed information and say, no, I've been watching them and everything's, there's nothing. This is happening and that's happening. But no, it's incredible how uh, being a rat has been elevated to something that is absolutely not. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, yeah. Solzhenitsyn. And, uh, and and a lot of them, uh, like some things yeah. will say, I'm following orders. Solzhenitsyn in his book, uh, the, the, the Gulag Archipelago, describes that when the, uh, the Cheka, mm -hmm the Russian secret police arrested people. They would put them in a jail cell with people from their neighborhood, their neighbors, right? And those neighbors would proceed to beat the living shit out of that person. They were armed with clubs and they would beat him to within an inch of his life. This is to destroy the spirit, right? So that you will never trust another human being ever again. Communism is such an evil system. And any people that have lived yes. under communism, I hate to say this, Marlene, because I know you came from Cuba, but they've been damaged. They're damaged. Let me tell you of course. They're damaged from living Let me under tell you communism. Something. No. Okay. Let me explain something. As far as this, <clears throat> my grandfather had retired to Miami pre Castro. He was a police officer. And he, we, he retired to Miami late 50s okay but he he was what the equivalent of a beat cop vice cop kind of deal right you know where he dressed up in plain clothes but you know how you would know the neighborhoods yes and he had been doing that with a partner for many years and he says he remembered towards the end of his career he says in other words you know the neighborhood he says you know who's who who's the petty thief who's you know and he says that this is around the time that they started planting bombs under people's like porches and he would arrive right. there he says one time i had a lady they had blown off her her legs this was believe it or not these were communists this is communist tactics yeah. okay but they would blame it on batista who was in power at that time which by the way right. i'm not saying batista didn't have his own problems but sure. cuba by no <laughs> way 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 um was and he i remember him telling me the story that he would he told all the kids this is communism and they were like, yeah. oh, no, no, you know. And, of course, later on it turned out and everybody, like, scrambled out of there. And I was born in the United States. But fast forward, amongst the older uh, Cubans, mm -hmm. the last true Cubans that left Cuba for truly the real reasons was 1970. Anybody that came after that immigrated for economic purposes. And in 1980, you know, they had the Mariel boat lift, okay? Yes. When yeah. the Mariel boat lift came is really when – the people that came over were either born into the communist system or grew up yeah. in the communist system. And I understand that he let out um, the people in the mental institutions and the worst criminals. In other words, he emptied out all his headaches. Yeah. But for the Cubans that were living in Miami, it was like a scourge de descended on us. Yeah, yeah. A good majority of uh, Cubans living there were victimized either by strangers, my, my family included, or by even their own family members that they had brought over yeah. to help them out. Yeah. So my point is that 
if anybody understands exactly what you just described as far as what communism does to the mentality and the way people behave and they act and they see life, I absolutely know it. I, 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 I saw it firsthand for many, many, many years. Yeah. Okay. As far as the morals, the principles, the way you live life, how law abiding yeah. you are, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Too divergent. And the, 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 the center of that separation was those who were brought up or indoctrinated under communist rule. Yep. And this is yeah, not an argument. Right. This is this is firsthand experience. Yes, this is yeah. I don't, this is nobody that told me. I know this right. is the truth, and yeah. people might not like it, but it is what it is. So, and um, uh, in, 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 I'm sure that that was just not a Cuban situation. Wherever you have that form of government, whatever yes. country it is, exactly what yeah. you described as far as how they handle their population. Yeah, it's, it doesn't matter and if they were born and raised under a communist regime. It could, they could be Polish or Hungarian or Russian or Cambodian yes. or and Chinese. Look what's going on in China now. What? What? You know, they're killing the cats and dogs, the bastards. The Chinese are. Now, I've lived in Taiwan. Yes, I've, I've, I, I hear that they've locked down. Shanghai. Do you to the, I, I, sometimes um, and this is one of the things that I've heard as far as they're willing to sacrifice a certain portion of their population, whatever the situation, whereas, mm -hmm. as in, we're, we're going to lose X of millions in this, whatever it is, this experiment, this action, this military action, whatever. And it's like, okay, if that's the cost that has to be paid, we'll pay it. Yeah. yeah. So in other words, if you're going to go by the metric of, oh, they would never do that because it would equate to X amount of casualties. Yeah, forget about it. The, that you cannot apply that to no. to the to the people that make the decisions in that country. Yeah, they won't. Yeah, like I was going to say, is if that's that the cost has to be paid. They, I lived in Taiwan, Hong Kong, and mainland won't. China. Um, and the Chinese in Hong Kong are are nice. They're, let's, they're let's, business they, people. And the Chinese people in Taiwan were great people. I love the Chinese people in Hong Kong, uh, Taiwan. The Chinese people in mainland China. They don't give a rat's ass about anything, about pets or animals or children. There's videos of uh, toddlers being run over by trucks and lying in the street. And people just walk by. Nobody stops. Nobody checks on the kid. Nobody picks them up, gets them out of the road at least. You know, uh, I used to be an instructor for St. John Ambulance, which is the Commonwealth version of the Red Cross. That's and uh, we, uh, you know, our, our whole point was that we are there if there's an accident mm -hmm. and we know what to do and to, to save people's lives. And so, um, you know, we would, that was a part, part of it. You know, I've done that myself many times. People had an accident and I'll stop my car and I'll go out and help. 
But in mainland China, they won't do that. They don't. This is what communism does. It 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 sucks the soul out of people, mm-hmm. and that's what we're under now, folks. And that's where we're headed to. Just to answer your question quickly about what would you do if people come to you and you're starving, as a, uh, a, a you know, um, yes. I market myself as something as an expert on on survivalism and being a prepper. I, I've been a prepper since I was twelve because we were brought up with the threat of nuclear annihilation. So I started prepping at an early age. Um, what I recommend is this. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've spoken to preppers, and I don't like a lot of the preppers. I, I find them a little bit too radical. You know, they got the, the story, well, if my neighbor comes and asks me for food, I'm just going to shoot him in the driveway. Oh, okay. All right. I tried to warn them. They didn't stockpile food. Too bad for them. I'm going to shoot them. Can you still hear me, Marlene? I can hear you. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, asshole. I mean, is that what you're put on this planet to do? So what I do is, is now I'm not religious, but I believe in the tithe. Ty- in, in the tithe, is it? Mm-hmm. What I do is, now I think you should set aside 10% of the food you stockpiled and that 10% is to go to your neighbors. Okay. Now you don't hand that food out from your front door. Okay. Um, So what I would do is, um, you know, I would cook up a a big Mm -hmm. giant pot of spaghetti, you know, a big pot of spaghetti will will last, you know, feed three or four families. Right. I would take that pot of spaghetti myself to the neighbor's house and just leave it on their front door. That's how you handle it. You can't let people know that you've got food. But on the other hand, I can't be sitting there stuffing my face and watching because what if your neighbors got children? What if they yeah, got no, exactly. And, and that's exactly my point where it's the part that you want to help them, but then they warn like, okay, once it's out that you do might have something, all right, Yeah. then you in other words then when they when they run out again they're going to come back and they're not yes they no matter how nice you are attending them yeah because they know you're the only one that's got food in the neighborhood but like yeah. i said I'll, or you could set up like a uh, and lots of community groups do this i recommend people be, yeah. you know form their own community disaster response groups so, mm-hmm. you know, when we've seen that flooding there in Texas, there were, right. you know, local people that came out and they set up tents and uh, they distributed food. They had food, uh, uh, food lines, soup lines, sure. right? They yes. opened up soup kitchens, not in front of your house. And you don't tell them that that's food that you brought. You just say, oh, some food was donated and uh, right. we're going to set up a food kitchen. So that's what I, I, I advise people to do. Because, listen, I cannot... Just turn my back on people that are suffering. Oh, no. I can't do that. And right. even though I can't feed everybody, if I can feed a few people, now if there was another hundred people like me, then we could feed the whole town. Okay, if we all pitched in and and, and uh, contributed a little bit, you know, you had twenty people that all gave ten percent of their food supplies, you could feed the whole town. So that's what I recommend. You know, you got to be prepared. You got to stockpile food for what's coming which is going to be the Great Famine. This will go down in history. The death toll in the world is going to go through the roof within the next year or two, okay? Or, you know, what you've seen during World War II with 
80 million dead here, 60 million dead there, 20 million dead here. That's going to pale in comparison to what's coming. So you need to get prepared. I tell this. To and you, well, let me ask you something. What happens? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and pick your brain a little bit more. What happens if the one that's coming now, looking for food, is not your neighbor, or the guy down the at the corner? It's a stranger, somebody that you know. That I'm gonna give you a perfect example. I lived like okay. 20 miles from a major city. When I mean major, it's not the biggest. You know, I'm 15 between, right in the middle. Okay. Right. In other words, I live in a rural area, and I mean, we've all got, we've got animals. The guy across the street from me is a trapper and a hunter. We've we already coordinated, okay? Yeah. But what happens, how do you think, when you start getting the spillover from people that live in the urban environment, and yeah. that's it. That, that's, that, there's, nothing, there's nothing there, so they're, they're, they're starting to leave that area looking for sources. Well, there's a long, there's a whole strategy to employ. Um, mm -hmm. I mentioned that to uh, the gentleman this afternoon because, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, I want to move to Mexico. I want to move to Honduras. I want to run <laughs> yes, away. I, I want to run away. Yeah, yeah, everybody wants to run away, but I, I don't mm -hmm. recommend Mexico or Honduras, um, especially for white people because you will always be the gringo. And uh, when your pension check stops coming... All those really friendly Mexican people, they're not going to be that friendly anymore. I, I'm just, That's right. this is human yeah. nature, nothing against Mexicans, but it's in-group yes. preferences. So if you're the, it, you know, you're the gringo, they all think you got money. They all think you're rich. Mm -hmm. They all think, so, you know, and um, if shit hits the fan and it'll hit the fan all over the world, Europe, Canada, the yes. United States, when it hits Mexico, they have in-group preference, and they're going to go, we're starving. Our children are starving. I bet you those gringos in that gated community have food. Have got food. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I would Absolutely. not move to Mexico. I, I, I don't recommend anybody that. Stay with your own people. They might mm -hmm. be a-holes, but yes. at, at, at least, uh, you know. But <clears throat> You have a better chance is, of survival, I think. Yeah. One one thing is uh, I told so the gentleman I spoke this afternoon and he lives in in Long Island and uh, he wants to run away. I said, okay, yeah, but you know, like, how much money do you have, you know, for you to move your house and all your supplies and all this, you know? I, I mean, if you've got a hundred thousand dollars to spend on that, okay, then I can help you. But if you don't have that kind of money, then stay where you are. He goes well. What about you know if they're going to come looting door to door? I said, well, this is what you do. First of all, you stockpile some plywood, okay, three-quarter inch plywood, enough mm -hmm. to cover up the inside, the ground floor windows of your house and the front door, okay? So when you start to see people going up and down the street, looting, breaking into houses and, you know, and doing what they do, I said, you nail up all that plywood, right? Then you go outside and you smash all your windows. Then you take some furniture, old clothing, garbage that you have in the house, and you spread it all over your front yard. As much garbage as you can. Throw the chairs out there, throw you know some of your clothes out there, whatever garbage. Then you take a can of spray paint, and you spray paint all of your house with gang signs. So when they're going down the street looting, and they see this house with all the windows smashed out, 
garbage all over the front yard. The whole place is spray painted up. They're going to think you've already been looted. Right? Again, what I'm what I'm saying is that cunning and ruthlessness, you will survive anything. Now, if that doesn't work, I also recommended that you cut two inch two inch by six inch slits in the plywood. And you need guns. You need guns. So if the show you have where, you know, it looks like you've been looted and garbage, yes. even maybe even start a fire on your front door and then put it out so that it looks like it's been burned out and all that. If that doesn't dissuade them and they're still coming up your driveway, well, unfortunately, you're going to have to start shooting. But at least you have a very good defensible position. They can't see you. They won't know where the shots are coming from. So, you know, most conflicts between animals are solved through animals of the same species are solved through what's called threat display behavior. So lions rarely kill each other, but they'll roar, they'll bare their teeth, and they'll raise their hackles, and they'll, you know, make aggressive gestures. You see the same thing among humans. A lot of times, you know, uh, before a fight breaks out, what you see is the guys are yelling, and they're mm -hmm. puffing up, and they're stomping the ground, and, and they're smacking the table, and they're waving their fists in the air. This is all threat display behavior. This is what primates do. And usually what ha happens is whoever looks the most threatening, the other people will back down. Like my story with the guys that wanted to, uh, to shake me down for a beer and my bicycle and all that. I was a mm -hmm. threat to them, not because I was doing the big display behavior, but because I wasn't doing any of that. So that ultimately was a form of threat display behavior. It scared them and it backed them off. So, uh -huh. first of all, we assume the gray man. The gray man is to make your house look like it's already been looted. Make it look like nobody lives there. If you have a portable generator, great. Don't run the lights at night. And, uh -huh. um, you know, don't play the stereo in the afternoon or something like that. You know, be very quiet. Yeah. Make it look like there's nobody home. So that, you know, listen, if you're going down the street there, there's... Hundreds of houses to loot. Why would you waste your time on this place? Right. Exactly. But if somebody decides to waste their time on this place and they suddenly are taking fire and you don't have to kill them. You just have to shoot over their head or you can shoot in front yeah. of their feet or something like that. They hear the gunshots. They can't see where it's coming from because your place is all boarded up and you've got shooting ports. Um, look, even better would be to have 20 of your neighbors all armed that are willing to come and, uh, you know, you hold up. And that's, again, why I recommend people form communities. One part of the, uh, the community is mutual defense. Make sure you all have walkie-talkies, right? So if, if the looters are coming up the street and they start down at the end of the street at Bob's house, Bob gets on the walkie-talkie. He calls it in, look, there's guys that are trying to break down my door. Now you get 20 of your neighbors come up behind them with firearms. And Bob is in the house, and he's shooting out the house. Now you get them in a pincer movement. you got these guys in crossfire. They are not going to pursue it. They're not military. They're criminals, okay? Right. Criminals are not brave people. 
Oh, they're really brave when they're waving a gun in your face and you have no weapon. Oh, then they're brave. How many times have I seen that? You know, these, these right. you know, street gangs and all that. Oh, they're such big shots. And then, and then the cops come and shoot them in the leg and they cry like little girls. <laughs> mommy, mommy. You know, I thought you were a big tough street, street gang thug, you know. Yeah. That's so when the odds yeah, are right. their advantage, then they're big tough guys. But you shoot a couple of them in the knees, they're not tough guys anymore. And when they see there's 10, 20 guys behind them with shotguns, now, it could be eventually what happens if this continues for a long enough time. There will be warlords. Always happens. The collapse of civilization. China, ancient Rome. <coughs> when the dynasties collapsed and when Rome fell, yeah, Europe was overrun by warlords. You know, local dukes or... or, or uh, barons and they would have their castle and they would have their hundred hundred men or whatever and then they would take over the whole area and they would rob and rape and murder you, you've seen the movies that's what happens right. during the that's why we call them the dark ages because the, the europe was yes. ruled by a bunch of petty violent warlords now when yeah, it and in exchange they kind of offered you a little bit of security you know like we'll keep you safe really. but in the meantime well, we're going to victimize you we're going to victimize you and we'll offer you protection from the next gang that wants to Right, exactly. You. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, which is... Uh, so, listen, if it devolves into a warlord scenario, uh, then maybe your 20 guys aren't enough anymore. <laughs> you know. I, I, so, it, it, you know, for, I have to laugh because for all those newer generations that are into playing all these, you know, uh, games, you know, where some of them are like, you, you live in all these kind of scenarios, it's like... Boy, is that going to be a coming to Jesus moment for them if that ever happens? And it's not a game anymore. Oh no, it, it, it's horrible. I, I, I'm like I said, I've read a lot of history, and uh, you know, I went through the dark ages looking for military strategies and tactics. I didn't find any because the strategy was thuggery. You know, these guys were just warlords. Same thing happened in China. You know, uh, especially uh, back in the 1920s when the Qing dynasty fell mm -hmm. and the emperor Bu Yi abdicated and um, China was divided up into 20, 30 areas, each one controlled by a, um, a warlord. And it was because China was so divided that the communists came to power. Right. Yeah, because there was no nationalist government. Well, there was the Guomindang, which was the nationalists um, they were the ones that eventually fled to Taiwan. Um, right. Let me ask you something, though. Don't you think that there was elements of what would eventually become the communist movement in China during the Boxer Rebellion, or no? Oh, well, listen, the the powers that be in, what I mean is the New York bankers, the mm -hmm. city of London bankers, um, you know, they had their early pirates, organizations known as the right. Dutch East India Company and the British East India Company. Um, they moved into China back in the 1860s already. Right. They were the ones that got the Chinese addicted to opium. That was right. the uh, the major supplier was known as the Sassoon family. 
So you, you might have heard of them for their hair products now or whatever. But I was going to say, as in Vidal Sassoon? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Cool. Okay. That was okay. his family. So they were uh, Jews from Turkey. Mm -hmm. And um, they worked with the, uh, the city of London. And uh, London was in a trade deficit with China because Chinese uh, were very arrogant at that time. And they said, we don't need anything from the, from the West. Um, they, they couldn't sell them, you know, British wool or anything like that. But the British wanted tea. And so the Chinese said, yeah, but you have to pay with silver. Until the silver reserves in England ran out. And they said, we've got to do something about that. And so, you know, the small hats there in, in Turkey, the Sassoon family said, well, why don't we sell them drugs? Oh, well, look who's behind most of the drug epidemic in the mm. United States, right? Look yes. at the OxyContent yes. uh, plague. And who's behind that? The same people again. Fentanyl it's an old all strategy. You know, you import a lot of drugs, really cheap at first, okay? Get everybody addicted. And now they're dysfunctional. Yes. Yes. A society where, where you got, you know, 20, 30% of the people addicted to opiates, yes. they're no longer a functioning society. And that's mm -hmm. what the British East India Company did to China. And then, before the boxers, mm -hmm. there was a Taiping Rebellion. And I swear okay. to God, that was set up, that was orchestrated. And up until that point in history, it was the most deadly civil war in history. Estimates of 20 to 60 million dead. And this is in the 1860s. Okay. And then guess what? Well, somebody has to save China from all these <laughs> lunatics, right? And these were lunatics. I mean, the guy that started it said he was the reincarnated brother of Jesus Christ. Oh. I, I mean, that's how bizarre it was. I mean, uh -huh. there were a few missionaries there, but they hadn't converted Chinese people by any means. Right. But that's why I suspect, you know, the, the usual suspects, as I call them, because that was just such... Anyways... Um, so they had taken over 80% of China, and the Qin Dynasty was at, at its end of its rope. They were about to fall. Mm -hmm. Who went in there? It was the British and the Americans. And they went in there with their machine guns and their cannons, and they wiped out the Taipings. And at the same time, they looted the Forbidden City. <laughs> right, because that's that, that right outside the Forbidden City, wasn't that where they set up the legations from all these different, or the consulates but from all these different countries? And it was like, um, I want to say they, they, I don't want to say they took over because it was in comparison to the general over. population, but yeah, they, they, put themselves on equal or superior footing to the, well, at that point it was still, you know, uh, an imperial family there, but yep. they, you could tell it was um, that the, 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 what was it? The Qin dynasty, they were, they knew that they were faltering. What was it? Empress Z? She was Z, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like um, one of the, she was basically hanging on to who, who would she use as an ally against whom? And uh, yeah, and after that, it. it and then came the Boxer Rebellion. After that, right? The Americans and the British were there, you know, looting the place and and selling opium to everybody. And then, you know, um, 
the last remaining members of the uh, imperial clan said, well, listen, we've got to get rid of all these goddamn Yanks and Brits. You know, they're destroying the country. And so then they started the Boxer Rebellion, but that was a huge failure too. But Yes, yes. It's, it's, you know, so... And getting back to your... The other thing was is that that's sometimes how um, societies fall into where warlords all of a sudden can exist. Oh, yeah. It it can happen very quickly because, listen, uh, let's say they turn off the power for two months. After two months, you know, how many people have two months worth of food in their house? Nope. Very few. Uh, Yeah, us preppers have, uh, you know, like I recommend everybody at this point, I used to say make sure you have three months worth of food. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm saying make sure you have a year worth of food. Okay. But if that went on for a year, I mean, how many people are going to be left alive? And also after the, the jab, how many people are going to be left alive? Well, th- that, that's, that's the thing. Um, people don't realize not only, um, not only food, but medication. Yep. Um, even simple stuff like, you know... Um, you know, I'm not even talking about uh, prescription. Let's not even let's not even go there. Yeah, because think yeah. of all the people. Let's say if you um, need a certain prescription drug, yeah, to maintain yourself. Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of people that without that, that's yeah. it. They're they're gonna. But yeah. uh, even stuff like a uh, antibiotic ointment, you know, or bandage, yeah. uh, because sometimes you all you need is get an infection. Oh yeah. From a cut. I stockpile antibiotics. I tell everybody to stockpile yes. them. Yeah. yeah Keep them in your too. medical kit. You need to have a mm-hmm. medical kit, right? In addition to the food and water, you need mm-hmm. to have radios, ham radios. Yes. And uh, you need to have firearms. Now, I'm not one of those preppers. You know, I don't have 50 right. guns and 20,000 rounds of ammunition. And I know a lot of guys that do. And I'm like, yeah, I know, okay, I know, well, I know. Nice, nice that you have a lot of little toys. But. Yes. Get a shotgun and a pistol. That's all you need, okay? Shotgun mm-hmm. is great for everything. Kills anything on the planet, right? And But you can use it to hunt birds and, and geese yeah. and ducks and stuff like that. Yes. So it, it's the most practical firearm for hunting and putting food on the table is a shotgun. But, you know, you put a lot buck in there and, and, you know, you can take out two, three guys that are coming through the front door with one shot. Yeah. So get a shotgun, a twenty-two caliber rifle, and some kind of a pistol. And that's all you need. That's all you need, okay? Um, but then yeah. have a good medical kit. And I mean, like, stock it with everything you need. Vitamins, yes. herbal herbal remedies, uh, supplements, and antibiotics. And if you can get your hands on some OxyContent, you know, like, if it's an emergency, you yeah. break your leg and, and uh, you're in agony. Yeah, okay give them an, uh, mm-hmm. an oxycontent and that's what the purpose of these yes. opioids are for anyways for extreme pain not yes. for recreational use but um, mm-hmm. you know uh, whatever yes. you can get your hands on novocaine if you got that uh, lanocaine um, so that you can do right. a minor surgery you know get a suture kit get an yeah. IV get an enema bag um, get pressure dressings burn dressings eye dressings Stock up on on your on your medical equipment too, and once you have all yeah, that, people, a lot of people don't realize that you um, you get somebody that's dehydrated. People don't realize that you can um, hydrate somebody very a lot faster through the rectum. Yes. 
Okay. That's why I recommend then, everybody has you know, the enema. Yeah. Yeah. And also because um, in addition to, you know, the starvation and all that, um, who knows what kind of biological warfare, what kind of diseases. There's a lot of diseases that will spread cholera, dysentery, yes. and those diseases kill you by dehydrating you. Yes. So, and, you know, I've, I've, I've seen what dehydration can do to people. Uh, you could die in like four or five hours if you're not hydrated. If you, yes. you know, you vomit and you pee and you have diarrhea and mm -hmm. all the electrolytes are flushed out of your system, then four to 12 hours later, you'll have a heart attack and die. And how, how do you get fluids into them if you if they can't drink anything by orally? Exactly. So that's so why you vomiting need vomiting and out there. If they're vomiting stuff out, which that happens yeah. when somebody and if you're a phlebotomist, like get an IV. You know, yeah. get get several. Yes. Because that will save lives. That will save lives. So that's what I recommend people. And then you know, if we can survive the first three months, you're probably gonna be okay. If it continues and you enter the warlord phase, um well, I always make a joke, uh here in, in Canada because, you know, we have such strict firearms regulations mm -hmm. and um, places like Toronto, you know, the only people that have guns are the street gangs. They said, well, what, what would you do if this happened here in Toronto? I said, guess what? I got a shotgun, so I'm automatically king of Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, hello? Hello. <laughs> you know what? People don't realize, I mean, I have a firearm. I've had it for quite some time because uh, I used to work cases. <clears throat> um, very, I, I was a weekend, you know, at at night, and I would come home and it was dark, and I had never carried a gun before that. I never felt the need, but I got it, and now I'm glad I have it. Yeah. And because mm -hmm. I never, how about this? I never thought that when I got it originally, I would end up being so glad because of what's going on now. I, I would never yeah. have imagined in my wildest dreams. Yeah that I would be happy that I had it and, you know, and everything. And I tell everybody, I, uh, as much as we talk about it, you know, you, you're always thinking, no, this cannot happen. But it's it's been a very disturbing 24 months or so where that doesn't work, that wishing it away yeah. is yeah. not going to work. And, um, you know, we're already in it now. And, um you know, I don't want I, like listen. I, I don't like fear porn. I don't want to get people. No, no, no. Of course but, not. Of course not. But uh, no, get ready. I always tell people like if you think of it as insurance, okay? So I got a year's supply of food. I got uh, some radios. I got a good med kit. I've got uh, a couple of solar panels so I can recharge the batteries on the radios, uh, mm -hmm. and I got a couple of firearms now. If you're just getting started prepping, all of that will cost you two, three thousand oh, yes. dollars. I mean, that's yes. nothing. What do you pay Compare. for car insurance? Sure. What do you pay for health insurance? Mm -hmm. So go out, get all this stuff because people, when they contact me for a consultation, they're already panicking, right? Oh, I, you know, I realize now I got to get ready and I haven't done anything. What should I do first? How long does it take? I said it takes you a week and it takes about two, three thousand bucks. You know, listen, it, yeah. it's also good to get some training, you know, firearms training, self-defense training, wilderness survival training, medical emergency skills, 
that's good to get and that's going to take you longer but to get you know six months worth of food a couple of fry, a shotgun i you know I get a shotgun a big five department store 250 bucks you know it's yeah, not a big yes. deal ham radio 60 bucks on amazon yes you get all that yes. stuff together you put it in your house and now you don't have to worry anymore because you're ready you're prepared right you there's only so hungry. much that you can control there's only so much you exactly. can control there's, there's only so much you can control anyways yes and and that's what sometimes people get uh, overwhelmed because they, they it's like no there's only so much you could do like what you said the prepare part and then the yeah. rest you're just gonna have to wait and see what yeah. happens and uh, one thing I wanted to ask you and, and and I'm saying this again based on my own experience I remember when 2001 when 9-11 occurred mm-hmm. we you know we uh, all the communications went down because they were jammed you know that's right I had my sons were in high school and after that, I remember telling them, if something ever happens, because remember, this was fresh out of 9-11, when everybody was totally wigged out with terrorism and, God, was this going to happen again? And I remember making a plan with my sons that I said, if something ever happens and we cannot communicate, I want you to go to your grandmother's house, because she lived very close to their high school, Okay. And I'm wondering if people should do the same thing. Whereas if well, something absolutely. happens and communications like your the, the what everybody depends on nowadays, which is your cellular, right? Yeah. For some reason, that's it's out. Yeah. Do you have a pre-plan of this is where we're gonna go? Don't worry if you absolutely. can't talk to me or reach me. This is either where we're gonna meet or we're all gonna go to this point. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? And from there, yeah, I, 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 I teach that, in, um, and uh, I can when I do my consultations and yeah. when I'm talking to groups, you need to have a plan, and you need to have two plans. One is a rendezvous, and one yes. is a retreat. So a rendezvous location is okay. I live in a small town now. If the power goes out, and mm-hmm. I can't phone you, and the wife's at the office, and the kids are at school. And the husband's at the factory or whatever. What's everybody going to do? Maybe you can't get back to your house. So the rendezvous location is somebody within 5, 10 miles. Could be a a neighbor. It could be a family member that has a house. Then that's where you go. You go there first. Whatever's closest. So if you you got a family member or a friend that's close to the school where your kids go to. Now better coordinate this with the school too because the schools have a lockdown protocol yeah. right so your kids can't get out of school if it's an emergency and i'm not sure i agree with that uh, i was gonna say people- i've heard of some versions where they especially if your child is older obviously which is depending on what the situation is is leave yeah so but you got to have somewhere to go so oh yeah of you have course to plan obviously this in, in advance you have, have to do this right now mm-hmm. sit down with your family yes. and um, if the power goes out and i can't get a hold of you and it's an emergency okay the kids you go to aunt, you go you go to grandma's house right okay the wife you go to my buddy he's got a house there close to your office right okay and i will as the father and, and the man of the house I will come and get you guys. Stay right. where you are in those locations. I will come mm-hmm. to you just in case they can't get back home. 
And then the other thing is a retreat location. So let's say there's no way for me to get across town because the whole town is on fire or exactly. there's a chemical spill. So I can't get to you. You stay at the, re the rendezvous location for three days unless you have to leave. But you stay there for three days. If I can't get to you in three days, then we all meet at another location, which is out of town, maybe 50 right. miles away. And that, again, could be maybe you have a relative or a friend. But even if you don't have that, maybe you know there's a campground there that exactly. you used to go camping to. Or there's a hotel. We'll all meet at the, at, at the Super 6 or the Super 8 hotel on Highway 213 uh, on the outskirts of town. We'll meet there. That's your retreat location. So then if you can't, you know, so you make it there and I will come and get you. So you need to plan right. that in advance. Yes. And people don't realize how important that is. Because when oh, something yeah. like that happens, even if it's for a couple of days, okay, where communications go down, yeah. I can see people running around with like chickens without a head. Oh, because yeah. they were so, uh, you know, used to this, that um, when you can't, Nothing works, whether it's a landline or a cellular or anything is not working. Yeah. P people will go crazy. I can tell that already. Oh, and yeah. uh, you wonder, where's my wife? Where's my kids? Are they okay? Yes. Where did they go? Should I go to the office? Should I go to the school? Yes. Well, you know, I mean, you will freak out. You will panic like crazy. And uh, yes. so simply having a plan and then get the family to sit down and you talk about in case of an emergency, this is plan yes. A, rendezvous. Plan B, retreat and the plan b retreat best to find a place that you can stay at for a couple of weeks right rendezvous you know like and a rendezvous could be a coffee shop too right like if you don't have anybody in your neighborhood or whatever okay i'll meet mm -hmm. you at the at the starbucks on the corner of you know i'll right. go there and at least you have water and food and washroom and you stay there and i will come and get you but uh, exactly. and if you have to stay overnight, then um, you know ask the proprietors if you can sleep on the floor, whatever. And if not, then sleep on the front door. I will find you. But the retreat location yes. is if it's really serious, then let's right. go there. And um, you know if it's a campground, then you can set up a tent and uh, you know bring as much food with you as you can when you're leaving. And uh, we'll stay up there for a couple of weeks and so things blow over but right you gotta plan that out right now folks yeah. yes yes people people think sometimes only pre preparation is like uh you know food and water and medicine but the plan you need a plan as in amongst whoever you know is in your family you know whatever yeah. and even if you live by yourself that you might have family that lives outside that you're going to tell them look if something like this happens this is what i'm planning to do yeah. So if you don't hear from me, yeah. Um, and and I tell everybody when um when Hurricane Andrew just because I was run over, I was plowed under by Hurricane Andrew in 1992. Um, everything went down. My house, everything was gone, and I left two of my shepherds guarding what was left of my household goods. Wow. There was no windows. The windows blew out with the frames and everything. I had two big shepherds. Yeah. Which when I would run errands, I left them inside the house. And God yeah. forbid anybody run in there, you know, not that I had that much left. But anyway, yeah. um, 
I remember that what I did was I had the voicemail through the phone system, which was in the the the, the bell systems, their central office. And I found eventually I got to one of the few because this was when they had public phones still around in 1992. And yeah, I called yeah. in there and I put a voicemail. My greeting was, I'm not picking up messages. Maybe I'll pick it up every couple of days. I'm okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. I will call you. I, I will pick up my message at least once one once a day or every other day. And I left yeah. that message on there. Yeah. All right. And believe it or not, that worked like a charm. People don't realize that sometimes you just use yeah, your voicemail. No, that's, a, that's, a, that's another good, good thing. Um, yeah, use the voicemail. If you have a, a phone answering machine, put a message on that. You have reached Marlene. Marlene is at the rendezvous location. Yep. I'm at, exactly. And don't say what the rendezvous location is. Just yeah, say the say rendezvous location. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, you know, worst case scenario, um, if you can't get a hold of me and you go to the house and I'm not there, look mm -hmm. on the inside of the bathroom door and I will put a note there. Yes. Things yes. like that. So you got to think this through. And again, mm -hmm. like I said, you know, being smart about this, you will survive anything if you're cunning and ruthless. But you do have yes, to think we have it through. To. We have yeah. to, you have to come back, Stefan. We got to keep talking about this cunning and ruthless stuff. We do. <laughs> we really do. I try no, let me tell you something. I know it sounds really, but we we need to do, what do they call it? You know when you, used to, when you cram for a test? Yeah. We're all way behind the eight ball on the cunning and ruthless stuff let me tell you we yeah. think that by seeing the walking dead that was enough oh yeah you know like it was just a show and then all of a sudden we're facing a possibility not of zombies obviously but yeah. where all these things that make the lubricants that make our society work and people obey laws might go Psh. yeah uh and that's why the ruthless and cunning we have to take away the the stigma attached to it as yeah. in being a you undesirable human being as in yeah. if you need self-preservation self-preservation yeah well, it's a Marlene, good thing I, I, yeah. my my throat is getting dry yes i know i know and i know and i could but i'm i'm going to be contacting you so we can come back and talk about some more ruthless and cunning things and food cash and all these other prep stuff and also yeah, the mental aspect if I may, I'll, I'll, I'll promote my website. Absolutely, yes. I'm going to have a yeah. link to the uh, to your website and the credits of the show. But for the podcast mm -hmm. listeners, what is your website address? It's uh, China Strategies, one word. Okay. Dot com. That's my main website. My other website is called mm -hmm. FormingCommunities.com, and that's okay. based on my upcoming book on how to get people together and 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 work together to survive this yes. i mean if we're going to survive this we have to do what our great great grandparents did mutual yes. aid societies right yes food co-ops homeschooling mm -hmm. uh yes. emergency medical clinics we can do it ourselves we don't need a hospital you get 50 yes. families all chip in we can open our own medical clinic you get yes. the the doctors to volunteer their time you know you mm -hmm. reach out to them and you can pay them some money too they come yes. in once a week at the clinic and everybody in your community mm -hmm. goes if they're sick they go in there once a week you pay them that's what our great-grandparents yes. did yes. so we need to yes. form communities and um, if you go to my website chinastrategies.com I offer consultations so I'll speak with you yes. for two hours uh, okay. for only a hundred bucks and uh, great. I, I cater whatever 
my advice is to your situation. Right. So exactly. if you live in the in the city, I'll tell you how to survive in the city. If you live in the suburbs, I'll tell you how to survive in the suburbs. If you live in the country, I'll tell you how to survive in the country. If you're by yourself, I'll give you strategies for how you can survive on your own. And, you know, if you have a family, what to do with your family. So um, just like what we've been talking about, that's what I do Absolutely. with uh, my clients. Yes, so, but tailor-made for whatever their situation is. And, and you sound like you're a realist, which is you're not going to oh, tell them what they want to hear. You're going to tell no. them what they need. Like, not what you want, but what you need. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not scary, you know, and like, did I scare you today? No, it do- no, no, I, no. I, I can't, it's, it's not scary. I believe it or not. I'd rather, I know this is sound so <laughs> hokey, but I'd rather be prepared and not need it than need it and not be prepared. Exactly. And I'm not a parent, I am not a paranoid personality, but uh, just like I said, because I lived in South Florida, because I went through hurricanes uh, in other words living without electricity in mm. reality for shorter lengths of time but in 92 when i went through and i saw how quickly that devolved yeah that that gave me an understanding that maybe a lot of people don't have yeah that that's not just hollywood you know yeah, when you see it no. in the movies or a program it yeah. does happen and nine uh, a lot of the emergency services they're, they're how far can they stretch even oh, the military Within it's, three hours, a... every emergency service is going to be yes. swamped. I, yeah. I know because uh, we had simple power outage here in Toronto about mm-hmm. four years ago. Half the city, the power went out, right? Went out for five days. I'm on the ham yes. radio. I'm listening to police, fire, and ambulance, right? Right. Mm-hmm. They're, they're swamped in three hours. Yes. They're all, they're all, all the ambulances are out. All the fire trucks are out. All the police are out. There's no help mm-hmm. coming. Right. So, um, you know, they, they had their own priorities. Another thing, no, which it's... is something I've been trying to uh, put together a program for, is that if if you're in a senior's building, no help is coming. No. Nope. You better organize among your fellow residents in that building and have mm-hmm. a plan on what to do, right? Yep. Stockpile a little bit of food and, uh, you know, get your radios and your flashlights because you're going to be on your own. Because I know, um, you know, with the ambulances and the fire department, I mean, there were children swept away in flash floods. They're searching Mm -hmm. the ravines for them. So, and, uh, you know, pregnant women trapped in elevators. And that that was their priority. And I understand it. You know, listen, uh, we got a choice. We can save these children or we can go to the old age home. (laughs) They're going to go and save the children. And I don't blame them for that. What was it in 2017? Hurricane, was it Irma? I can't remember Maria Irma because I know one, one plowed through Puerto Rico. I think it was Maria that came up the state in the um, in an old uh, old people's home, a nursing home in Broward mm-hmm. County, which is just north of Miami Dade County. A yeah. bunch of residents died because nobody they left them there. They left they them there. They leave them there. Yes, because and then. Listen, I know it's terrible, but I don't blame them either because the nurses and the attendants, they're going home to look after their families. Oh, yes. But, I mean, if they thought that somebody, like, in other words, like you said, emergency services are taking care of emergencies. And as a matter of fact, I believe the owners or the managers or something were brought up on charges for yeah. of their inaction or not trying yeah. at least to get them out, the ones they could. And a lot of people don't realize um, – 
just like when uh, if there's inclement weather or there's a danger, guess what? If sometimes nine one one personnel will not go into certain scenarios nope. if their life is going to be in danger. Yeah, people don't realize that. Yeah. If you think they're going to come in like the cavalry over the hill, nope. they're not. They're not. So yeah, I, I should put that program together because I could probably make a small fortune going around to nursing homes and yeah. teaching them how to be yeah. prepared. You know, you could, especially in Florida, we have a lot of you know uh, uh, a lot of. Um, yeah. Nursing homes, uh, you know, ALFs. Um, as, I, as a matter of fact, I remember when I placed my mom in an ALF, one mm-hmm. of the things I looked at was they had a huge generator, a yeah. big one in the back that could yeah. run the household yeah. with, without a problem because yeah. of that situation that I didn't want her to be in a, in a place yeah. that would have an electrical, um, you know, no electricity in it. Yeah. But absolutely, yes. Yeah. Some food for thought. That huge generator can... will probably run out of fuel within three days. Don't, 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 don't. <laughs> I'm just saying, have, I'm a have... realist, okay? So, no, yeah. no, you know, I know those propane tank ones, and, and I have one myself, and yeah. it supposedly will fuel me for about a week, but then after the week, what am I going to do? Yeah. But I already, ha- I already have a backup for that, but that's a conversation for another day, because if not, we'll keep on talking into infinity. Thank I you know, so much, Stephanie. It has been absolutely. Time, I know, I know. <laughs> Fixing the world, kind of, or whatever. But thank you again, Stefan. It has been wonderful speaking to you. And I want oh, to wish you the best Marley. of luck on all your projects. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Take care. And you take care. Bye-bye. 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 Wow. Yeah. God, this has been a fascinating talk. Believe it or not, my original conversation with Stefan was about about self-defense, about in the sense of dealing with um, with psychopaths, you know, because he did he he did did do a course or a material that precisely spoke about psychopaths, and part of it also um, crossed over into preparedness, but how to deal with psychopaths because you're going to run across them. And your whatever it is that it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a you know some type of just, you know weird or collapse of society situation. It can be anything. I've run across some, and um, in other words, that there's earmarks. And, and unfortunately, sometimes people they equate psychopaths with uh, some guy running around killing people, like as a serial killer or serial rapist or things like this and there's yes there are psychopaths especially if they've been brought up in a violent environment that do turn into killing machines or that they or if they become sexual sadists or whatever but there's a lot of psychopaths that don't have empathy they don't feel the things that we normally feel uh sorrow empathy sympathy uh the things that uh, fuel our the reward center in our brain that give us pleasure. It's not that they what they like is control. Uh, a lot of them have narcissistic um, tendencies, which really is a lot of self hatred. But I mean, there's a whole dynamic. But sometimes it's very difficult for us to equate that behavior because, unfortunately, whether you want to call it a weakness or not, when you're not a psychopath, it's really hard to imagine somebody behaving in that way it's it just 
doesn't compute, we could understand it and we might see, let's say we see a show and we're like, oh, that's really interesting. But when we're faced with it in real life, whether it's a boss, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, a teacher, um, God forbid. And this is what he was talking about where by their very nature, uh, they seek positions of authority in some type of hierarchy, whatever the hierarchy might be. Or you catch them in a certain level of the hierarchy, but because they're planning to go further up. And I'm sure a lot of people nowadays will look at certain uh, power structures, whether they're schools, companies, government, God, you name it. And you see certain persons now that a lot of masks are slipping, that you're like, how did this person get to, how did they, how did they get there? How, how, who promoted them? Who hired them? Who kept them there? All right. Um, and that's how. That's how. And and he was absolutely accurate when he talks about that. They can lie without flinching. And after a while, they learn the bigger the lie, the more. Because most people say, man, that's, that's, that's too big to be a lie. How could somebody lie like that? Yeah, they can. And they don't think twice about it. And by the way, not all of them. Because that's another thing. Sometimes uh, there's this um, myth that uh, 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 they're all like super geniuses. No, there's a lot of them that are not. They're average intelligence. But if you're not hindered, if you want to call it that, by compunction of I shouldn't do that, that's wrong, or that's going to hurt this person, persons, or that's not right, they're not. And exactly what he described. If Even when he says like, oh, let's say the coworker, angle where you're sabotaging a co-worker they even do this let's say you and this other person go into this department you know the psychopath and the regular person right and you're the regular person and you're both have hopes of going up and being getting promoted how's that if he sees he i'm gonna say he because there's she there's she's there's plenty of chief psychopaths believe me and i've run across those myself if he sees that down the road you are going to uh, basically get promoted or advanced before he does, because basically maybe even if you're just that you could that you're a rival for whatever reason, they will target you long before the promotion uh, moment happens. A year, even two years before, where they identify, you know what? When I'm ready for advancement or when I'm ready for that promotion or when I'm ready for whatever, you're going to you're you're gonna be better than me. You're gonna do better. Chances are you might even you're a rival, you might get that spot. They will work it in a way to get rid of you. In a multitude of ways. But the examples he gave are very accurate. You know, the the um the gossiping, uh the uh the 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 hints, of course, um masked as in I'm concerned for this person, you know. Uh, you know, he was acting odd. You know, I mean, I mean, it could go different ways because that's that's another thing. They they mask the their their real intentions. Uh, in other words, the knife in the back kind of thing. With the uh, I'm so concerned, I'm so worried, or the uh, if it's a let's say a corporate um, setup where they're forced to come to the boss or like I said, an ombudsman, which is like an anonymous line that you can call in a company to this you know complain or say look i saw this and i don't you know i, I just want you to be aware of it okay where basically I, I feel bad doing this but i'm trying to take care of the company 
this is psycho, a psychopath a strategy 101 all right where they might get a promotion or commended either openly or behind the scenes for you're so brave to come forward and talk about that we're thank you you know we weren't aware of that you know things of this nature so yeah but anyway originally we were to talk about but we talked about so many great things and like I said um, I wish I wish I, this conversation with Stefan had been strictly about psychopaths because even if there's not all this weird stuff going on right now with everything the economy you name it it would still be an interesting talk because psychopaths are going to be around to m torture a lot of people and when I mean torture I don't mean literally but figuratively sometimes in different ways but unfortunately because of what's going on a lot of what we talked about even though we went all over the map has some type of reference and like I said two years ago I would have said, hmm, no, come on. And now it's like, fast forward. And it's like, what happened? Where all these things that were far-fetched are, are tinted as either reality or very probable. And, you know, we we're talking about preparing or, you know, surviving. Like I said, I've had my own personal experiences, very limited amount of time. And nothing that, you know, just impacted me directly. But it's, so I've seen it. I, I, in other words, that part I do understand. There's nothing like first-hand experience to make you a believer about how things work. But um, I wish that this conversation, conversations like these were a, a far-off possibility. If ever something ever happened, we could, would you have this? Do you have that? Yeah, but okay. Yeah, ha, ha. Maybe, you know, it might, but forget it. We're, that would never happen. Those days are gone. And whoever thinks that those days are... No. Unless you're totally living in another reality. If you have any responsibility, at least for yourself, okay? You've, part of you has got to be saying, wait a minute. You know what? All the, the assurances I had that everything is going to work out, you know, like the movies happy, happily ever after. And then, you know, and then the credits roll, stop that, stop it, stop it. And like he said, not, not to self your porn because I'm not, I'm, I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm a humanist, I'm a humanist. I believe in the human beings. I believe in the goodness of human beings. I believe like what he says, that communities can be put together, that people will help each other, but that there's a part of us that we owe ourselves to ourselves and maybe even to family members or people who are with us the act of self-preservation okay which is at the very least that you say you know what something happens and I've got a way to feed myself and my family and you know have some potable water and some medication and believe me I, I, whoever my audience is depending on what part of the country you live in uh, or what your life experiences have been I have seen what happens when the doors of stores are locked because they're bare there's nothing to sell okay I've seen that and yes if, like 
when Hurricane Andrew, yes, eventually help rolled in and churches and charities. I remember they, in some of these churches in the parking lots, they would put up these tables and just bring food. But let me tell you something, that took at least five days to happen. You know why? Because it, you just don't get people and, um, and how can I say, people, uh, logistics done that quickly. All right. It just doesn't happen that quickly. Plus, also, when you've got an area where, well, at that point where you had trees down and wires and your normal roadways, especially into the area that was most affected, was blocked. Guess what? So what do you do in all these two, three, four, five days before help rolls in? Okay. What are you supposed to be doing? And, and remember, this again, this was a situation where it was only a little point, a little speck at the end of the country. Okay. And you knew that you knew help was coming. You knew help was coming. Okay. Um, and there was, you know, no electricity. Uh, there was, uh, there was looting. There was a bunch of stuff going on that I didn't want to think about. And even my mom's apartment, she, she, her apartment was on the fifth floor of a building that the wall had come down. As a matter of fact, the building came out in Newsweek because you see all you saw the little apartment buildings like a kid's playhouse but the whole wall had come down so when you went to her apartment the other side of the building got devastated as a matter of fact appliances had been pushed into the hallway because i went up the stairs eventually and i got into her apartment her apartment was intact but there was no wall the whole wall the entire wall of the building had gone down on top of whatever vehicles were there her I couldn't be there all the time her apartment got looted and she was on the fifth floor and I'm telling you, you could only go up the stairs and jump over things appliances sinks you know because a lot of these apartments the kitchens walls were the ones that faced into the hallway so when the other side of the building the hurricane winds came in they pushed all these appliances and things into the hallways so basically you had to jump over stuff and she still got her stuff looted okay so my point being that I've seen what happens within a few days of normalcy going sideways as in law enforcement 911 uh, no electricity uh, point being you owe it to yourself to to make some type of mental preparation and then physical preparations worst case scenario i've got food i've got water i've got a plan nothing comes of it great so i eat the food and i drink the water and we're off to the races and it's that's it but don't believe it or not don't 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 live in this uh pollyannish world uh thinking no uh nobody would ever the, the government or the the authorities or whoever the powers that be would never let it get that bad uh, they wouldn't they would stop let me tell you don't don't bank on that hopefully it would never come to pass i wouldn't want it to but don't bank on it so again guys i hope you like this very interesting interview with uh stefan versappen please check out his website at chinastrategy.com and again if you really don't know where to go contact him for, for consultation He's going to tailor make it to what your circumstances are 
And believe me, if you've got to start somewhere, start there. Again, take care. Until next time.